Hello and welcome to Hold Up. We're on my side. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Hold Up, a movie podcast where Murphy's on the right and I am on the left. Thank you for joining us. Well, we are your hosts, as I said, Devin and Chris Worldline Murphy. Tonight's theme, if you didn't notice from the intro, is Christmas. It's Christmas time. I have a I have a hat. I have a tree. Murphy's got, got some Christmas sweet lights. lights in the shape of a tree. Don't think yeah, I didn't I got, notice. I, wearing oh, my, yeah. my Nirvana Christmas shirt, you know. Got a the Nirvana Christmas album. If he'd have lived, that would have happened. Um, that could have happened, and it would have been amazing. <laughs> I would have been for that. Cobain's you know, I, cozy I, Christmas. I would listen to that too. Yeah. <laughs> um. So tonight we are going to uh, review for you and talk, probably at some some amount of a length, about <laughs> the apartment from 1960, Gremlins from 1984, and Tokyo Godfathers from 2003. Um, how are you feeling tonight, Murphy? Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, feeling festive. Feeling the happy ho ho, if you will, uh, within mm-hmm. my veins. It's the twelve nights of Christmas, and I've been enjoying some Christmas movies these past twelve nights. Even though I have to say, uh, mm-hmm. your choices for Christmas movies involve misogyny, misogyny, and, <laughs> and animal exploitation, and I'm not sure how I feel about this. <laughs> well, look, I got something to say about your pick too, bud. So. <laughs> It's, and you know what? I'm not going to defend. Them. I'm adventure. not going to defend my first pick. I think you'll find. <laughs> but like, if you make me defend Gremlins, I will fight you, man. <laughs> I will fight well, you. Those uh, were puppets. Those were puppets. Uh, All right. Uh, so, I got words about Gremlins. Then. Oh, you better not have words about Gremlins. Look, this is going to be a fiery episode. I'll warn you right now. The fire is going to be pretty simpatico for the first one, and then it's going to get nuts. So. Uh, and just should we jump right into warning, it? Well, warnings also last chance. We're gonna get into spoilers for these movies oh, that yeah. are decades old. So I mean, and hopefully you've watched them by now. If you haven't watched them, go watch them. Even our newest here. one is Enjoy almost two decades old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's, yeah. it's it, yeah. time catches up with us quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, we're gonna be walking over to uh, theater one and checking out the first act. What is that there, Devin? All right, Theater One, we have The Apartment from 1960, starring Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, and Fred McMurray, directed by Billy Wilder. And I promise you, I didn't see this movie before I picked it, or I wouldn't have. Though it will make for an interesting discussion. Um, I was and it's, so confused it's kind as of, to why you picked this movie. I want to know, what was your initial reason to pick I had, Like I said, I always pick one I haven't seen. And look... Jack Lemon and Shirley MacLaine. I should have been safe. Okay, those are two extreme talents. You know, I love Jack Lemon, man. Um, and you know what? He's a good Jack Lemon and Shirley MacLaine aren't bad in this movie. Um, but I mean, we could talk with their characters, but their performances are quite good. Um, uh, plus, yeah, that's like, probably the last yeah. good thing I'm going to say about this movie. So. Let's get into it, I guess. Do you hit a trailer for these? I can't remember. Uh, I do have a trailer for these since I was right. so stupid uh, as to forget to put, make the coming attractions for last episode. 
we are going to be witnessing the trailer. They're especially important. Yeah, so they're especially important this time. So we're going to be witnessing full trailers. uh, And we're starting off uh, right here. Now, if I can find it, just bear with me. There it is with the apartment. Number one, a very warm, very wonderful story about a boy, a girl, and a very special kind of problem. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kublik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal. Ingredient number two, a brilliant cast. Jack Lemon in a delightful role which gives full reign to Jack's amazing versatility. Shirley MacLaine, whose glowing warmth lights up the screen like a Christmas tree. Fred McMurray. This is a Fred McMurray you've never seen before. Let's start off with here's how to make a couple times a week. Right away, they think you're going to divorce your wife. Yes, yes, it did. No, sir, it's very unfair. Especially to your wife. We also start with the last ingredient number three Billy Wilder. Yes, yes, it did. Quite like that Billy Wilder, some like it hot kind of laughter. I did enjoy the spaghetti. There are some things. Are we dressing for dinner? You know, just come as you are. Say, you're pretty good with that racket. You should see my backhand. Apparently, that was one of the few scenes Jack Lemon can like improvise that the writers. It's one of the best ones in the movie, (laughs) right? Mildred, he's at it again. Mildred, he's at it again. apologize for murphy right now all of his video clips are going to be way too loud tonight so be prepared to go up and uh, down only, only that one uh i've definitely got volume control on like the rest of these so okay you know, it's not so bad it's not so bad okay um god i'm even offended by that trailer all right let's get into it I mean, wow. Like, okay, let's take a moment to dissect that. Initial thoughts before I do a synopsis? Is that what we're going to do here? I mean, I kind of feel like it. Like, it's such a terrible movie. Yeah, it's awful. (laughs) It's it's just like 90% misogyny. And everyone's unlikable. Everyone's unlikable. Like, even... Shirley MacLaine's character, who's maybe the most likable, her and Jack Lemon. They're even like, like Jack Lemon's is just a hallow, uh, yes uh... man kind of. Like he's not someone to really like either. You're supposed to feel for him, but you don't. Like he's not even charging these guys. I thought I was like, oh, he's making a little money on the side here at least, but no, no, he's not. Um, he's just a putz. And Shirley MacLaine, her just decision making kind of pisses you off. But um, I mean. 
I don't know. I mean, she's swimming in a sea of sharks, so she's just like picking one shark over another. So, I mean, you can't fault her that much, I guess. Everyone sucks in this uh, and probably I in mean, the 60s, apparently. Um, yeah, if, if this is a reflection of the 60s, like it seems to be, um, and from, yeah. from some of the movie morsels I dug up on this film, I. Uh, uh, it, it's it's it doesn't paint paint a pretty picture of the sixties. It's quite like the apex of and fifties. Uh, really, I mean, this was just on the cusp of the sixties. This is more reflective of the fifties. Well, it was filmed in fifty. As far as attitudes, it was released in yeah. six in nineteen sixty. Yeah. Right, so it's literally on the ed- end of the fifties. Um, yeah, it's decent. Uh, anyways, we I should, was surprised we it was in black and white because most movies by 1960 are very much in color. Apparently, this was one of the last black and white films. Actually, like mm-hmm. I think it was also one of the last black and white films to win an Academy Award. This movie, what did it win for? Uh, oh, I don't know. I think it was won an Academy. Award. Okay, maybe I misquoted that. Give me a second. Let me. I I, I remember maybe it was a nomination. Oh no! Academy Award for Best Picture in 1961. Academy oh Award for Best God. Directing. Uh, Golden Globe Awards for Best Motion Picture and Best Actress. Academy Award for Best so this Film is, Editing. This is Academy a product Award of its for time. Best Art Direction. Writers Guild of America Award for Best Film. Like you mentioned this to like uh, over on Live Long podcast the other night that we were gonna review this, and Adam and Jody had seen it, and they were just like, "Oh yeah, that's a depressing movie," but they certainly didn't say how bad it was. And I'm just thinking, did you have you guys seen this movie since the world changed? Like, <laughs> yeah. did you watch you this, this in 1981? Like, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, so, I, I'll get I into it. when I saw them say depressing, I was like, I mean, it's a bit, but like. Oh, so let's it's get this in depressing is it's two hours. It's over two hours long. That's what's depressing. Like, oh man, 45 minutes into this movie, it's, it felt like it was a, like for most of this movie, it feels like it's about to end like plot wise. <laughs> and then it just keeps going and keeps going. Yeah. And you're just like, what am I still doing here? I hate all yeah. these people. Let's <laughs> give a synopsis. Oh, All right, Jack Lemmon, C.C. Baxter ran the world C. C. Airbnb. <laughs> Since oh look, we run Airbnbs in this Airbnbs in this household, and this is not an Airbnb. <laughs> 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 At least not the kind we run. So he works for uh, an insurance company in New York. He's like one of their accountants, it seems. Yeah, like they even have like an accounting section. Oh, actually, I have, so there, I have there, seen that. It, that explains that a bit. Shall, shall I? No, thank you. Right. It's because I worked for an insurance company, Consolidated Life of New York. We're one of the top five companies in the country. Our home office has 31,259 employees, which is more than the entire population of uh, Manchester, Mississippi. I which is on true the at the time. Floor, ordinary policy yeah. department, premium accounting division, section yeah. W, desk yeah. number 861. It's such a good shot. This is actually my favorite shot of the whole movie is this opening scene. I've been with Consolidated. The director winning an award doesn't bother me. It's actually well directed. It's just I hate everything about what he's directed. But Yeah. But it, it does look nice in a lot of ways. 
The hours in our department are 850 to 5... I wouldn't be able to stay in that room for five minutes. I can't believe people work in such an environment. I'd freak out and go hug a tree after five minutes. by floors so that 16 elevators can handle the 31,259 employees without a serious traffic jam. It's so crowded. I very often stay on at the office and work for an extra... Soul-crushing, man. Like this movie. It's not that I'm overly ambitious, it's just a... A way of killing time until it's all right for me to go home. Yeah, is that why? <laughs> so yeah, so he has to stay late at work because people are often using his apartment. So there are four higher-ups in his company that, to ingratiate himself to them, he lets them, you know, uh, sleep around, bang their mis their mistresses in his apartment so they don't get caught by their wives. Like, this is so misogynistic, man. Like, the reason I hate Jack so Lemmon's character is he's such an enabler. He, like, he's he's fine with all this cheating. Like, like he's such a detached, callow friggin' loser, man. Like, I, yeah. I don't like him. Well, um, that's kind of the one of the... But he's still things. better than everyone else. Like, compared to all the other characters, you're like, well, I guess he's not so bad. <laughs> like, it's just because they're all so friggin' horrible. Well, that that's one of the the main themes of this movie is um is that basically the doctor challenges him to become a mensch which is basically like yeah. a jewish term for an honorable good, man and stuff yeah you no know, like a good guy human and He's like be a human human man. being yeah human being right <laughs> yeah. and and uh it, the, i guess that's his journey of discovery throughout this movie ultimately uh, he, is he stops learning to be a cuck? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's like starts. But Shirley MacLaine's character thinks he's this right good guy, while he's still a callow enabling loser. Like she's like, oh well, at least you're the nice guy in the office, kind of thing. Like in the elevator. Anyway, I'll get back into the synopsis, or I'll never get into it. <laughs> Oh my god. So like I say, the four higher-ups. One of them is played by the actor who plays Boothby in Star Trek, by the way. So I find that hilarious. One of these uh, cheaters. <laughs> um, so he, he's getting sick of the situation, basically. But he he's too weak-willed to do anything about it. But, you know, eventually he sort of starts to benefit from it where they he does get promotions and things but he's he's got a crush on this elevator operator back in the day when like somebody had to like press the elevator button for you uh, uh fran kubelich played by shirley mclean now i will say this is the first time i've seen shirley mclean as a young actress like i've seen jack lemon as a young actor before but i had never i've only ever seen shirley mclean as like an older woman and I gotta say, she's quite beautiful, actually. Um, and she looks because of her hair, I guess. She looks kind of like a modern woman in this, and you know, she's she's very beautiful. Yeah, I yeah, and, and like this was, I think this was like one of the beginning scenes, is this this elevator scene where uh, the misogyny really starts to starts to watch kick up a little. Oh, because he smacks her on the air. Yeah. One of these days, I'm gonna shut these doors on you and. No, you should have stabbed him in the neck. Like, you should have pulled out a pen and stabbed him in the neck. 
She's the best operator in the building. Oh, I'm a pretty good operator myself. My God, I can't imagine being a woman in the workplace back then, man. Dude, this guy's gonna be like pushing 58, and he's like, I'm a pretty good operator myself with a popped blue pill. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so that's a thing. Uh, Fran so, Kublik, I believe her name is. Yeah, Fran Kublik. They, he just calls her Miss Kublik. Everyone's very professional. They call each other Mister and Miss. Like they've been, they've been like near the end of the movie. Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine are still calling each other like Mister or Miss Kublik and Mister Baxter. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, so um, the three higher ups, but not the main guy, are glowing about uh, Jack Lemmon's character. And so the the real boss, uh, Mr. Sheldrake, played by Fred McMurray, he thinks there's some. He figures out there's something going on with um, with Baxter. They're like they never brag about workers. They don't care. Why are they like hyping you up? So he calls them into his office. And he's just like, dude, like why do these guys love you so much? He's like, oh, you know, I'm a hard worker and blah, blah, blah. He's like, no, no, no. Look, I know what's going on here, Baxter, and I'm going to use your apartment uh, myself. How does that sound? Yeah. Using our IBM machines to figure the well, the day before the Kentucky Derby, I called in the Vice Squad, and we raided the 13th floor. The Vice Squad? That's right. Well, well what's that got to do with me? This is probably one of my favorite scenes, too. Just what kind of a joint are you, Murray? No, oh, yeah, this isn't a bad scene actually. It's just really good blocking, and there are things in this movie that aren't terrible. It's just everyone's so detestable; it's hard to get through. Like you can see how back in 1960, when people are used to being super misogynistic and sexist and stuff like that, where they would think this is a good movie. Well, yeah. This is this is the kind of movie that our podcast is made for because we ask the question: Does it hold up? And this movie will be lost in time. Yeah, this is. Which is sad because you know what? Jack Lemmon is one hell of a performer. He can do drama and no to another. Yeah. Also, I just want to say, don't use nasal mist, kids. That stuff is terrible for you. Oh, yeah. I don't think they even sell that anymore, do they? <laughs> they still very much sell nasal mist. Oh, wow. Yeah, don't use that stuff. So actually, we could be very proud of our personnel, percentage-wise. That's not the point. Percentage-wise. Just have yourself a nice steam with an essential oil. You'll feel much better. It won't. It won't. Never again. Yeah, if, so. If, if, if nobody is going to use my apartment from now <laughs> He plays this, like, he was meant to play this character, I will say. He he literally is the 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 sole, uh, like, thread of interest in this entire movie. Jack Lemmon really, yeah. like, his back must have been broken because he had to carry this film so hard. And it's only yeah. accidentally. Yeah, he does carry uh, by the doctor role, who I I personally was a big fan of, but jump a bit ahead. Oh, bud, we're about to have words. I can't tell you how much I hate that doctor and everything that he does. Um, 
we'll get into that here when I get there in the synopsis, though. Um, okay, back to my synopsis. So he, not only does he want to use Baxter's apartment, he's like, you're going to make me a key. Because normally he just, like, hands the key or, like, leaves, leaves the key under the, the mat. mat for whoever is going to use his apartment next. Which is like, you know what's funny? They never show him doing any laundry. Like, they're uh, well, he, banging I mean, all over his apartment. They show him, like, refilling the fridge, and he keeps it stocked with alcohol for them and things like that. But you never see him do any laundry. Doesn't so, really wash the sheets, does he? Yeah. I don't think he's washing the sheets, man. <laughs> so, he, um, Mr. Sheldrake's trying to butter up Baxter, so he's just like, I'll, you know, you give me the key, and you can use these tickets. He's giving him tickets to a, a popular show at the theater downtown and Baxter just doesn't want to do it like I said he's sick of this whole situation he just wants his apartment back because he wants to stay at work for extra hours and go sleep on dirty soiled sheets you know <laughs> <laughs> but you know he, he makes the best of it and he asks Miss Kublik out to the show and she she agrees or I think she like doesn't at first but eventually she agrees and she ends up bail or bailing on him because it turns out she's having an affair with Sheldrake. Or like Old had been and he's Sheldrake. trying to get her back. Old Sheldrake. Um so so she goes to hit <laughs> Jack Lemon's apartment while he's waiting for her at the theater, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I guess, in a horrible way. Yeah. Um but then she realizes well, so next we cut to like an office party, and this is Christmas Eve, and this is where it becomes sort of like a Christmas movie. They went ham for these office parties in the fifties, man. Oh, yeah. Like they went crazy, and and uh, B Billy Wilder said he's like, these are my favorite days to film when I can literally just set up my camera, yell action, and sit back and relax, and let everybody just go nuts. This guy's got no pants on. Yeah, they're having a they're having a time. Everyone's People making, making out, out. And there's a lot of old this is men making out with like man. twenty year old women. Yeah, see, and those old men are married at home. They have an old lady at home. <laughs> like every like literally everyone in this office is cheating with someone who works in this office. Shirley McLean is very charming. Well, as yeah. a matter of fact, I was rather hurt that night you stood me up. I don't blame you. It was unforgivable. I he isn't, though. Jack Lemmon's great, but he's not charming. The whole time you're, like, wondering why she would like him at all. I mean, at, at first, he's kind of, like, nice and charming, but at this point, he's just becoming blinded by, like, the, the carrot in front of him. And, and he's trying to peacock really hard, and he becomes insufferable for it. He does, Otherwise, wise. Cheers. So, Shel Sheldrake's secretary, he used to have an affair with her, too. He's basically had an affair with most of the office, probably. But the secretary, who he keeps on, and that's probably a mistake, 
which he rectifies later. But really, he's the problem, not her. Um, she's basically ratting on him, not only to his wife, but also to, eventually his wife, but first to Fran here. Um, so Fran gets this information that, you know, Sheldrick doesn't really care about her. He's not going to leave his wife. And all these things. He said the same so, song and dance several times. I was yeah, yeah to her exactly. Was, like he told me yeah. the same thing. Yeah. So he she told, ends he up told Mrs. K the th same thing, and he told that pretty redhead the same thing, and she started like listing like all these girls before. Uh, yeah. Like, and, yeah. So back at Baxter's apartment, she confronts Sheldrake about this, and you know he gives her a bunch of bullshit, but then she leaves. And it's funny because Baxter actually picked up somebody at the bar and he's trying to come back to his apartment to have his own uh, good time. But uh, when he, they get in there, he finds Fran in his bed all passed out because she basically tried to commit suicide. She ate a bunch of sleeping pills. Which is a lot. We're doing Christmas movies, but there's certainly a lot of suicide in these movies. I mean, not Gremlins, but uh, um, uh, so uh, no. But there was a so, lot of murder in Gremlins. Uh, yeah, that's a good time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he calls his next door neighbor's the doctor, who I hate, and he calls him over to help Fran. And, like, their whole remedy is basically they just pick her up and just walk her around the apartment for hours. They skip through that, luckily, but, like, they're hours just walking her around. Well, yeah, they they, 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 they try and feed, like, force drink her coffee, and then they also, like, yeah. give her a shot of adrenaline, I believe. Yeah, they're just worried that if they just don't want her to go to sleep, which, again, is antiquated. That's not true. Your brain, if you have a brain problem, you act, your brain actually heals better if you're asleep. Like, people always just like, if you get a concussion, don't let them sleep, don't let them sleep. They did that to me when I fell out of a shopping cart when I was a kid. But turns out, you should let someone with a head injury sleep because their brain will heal better if they're sleeping. So, yay, modern medicine. Um, so oh you definitely God. shouldn't do this. I hate him so much. I hate him so much. So here's the... He's loving this. The actor, the director, they're all loving this shit. And here's... Oh, my God. I can't even watch it, man. I hate this. Okay. So, I'm, I'm, here's the I'm thing. I'm going to have a movie morsel about that scene in particular. Okay. That was, oh, man. That I don't think it'll make it any better. Explains it. But not only it doesn't make it better, but it explains her, it. He, he grabs her face like this. And he's just whipping her head around like this. Grabbing her face super hard. Like, if I was here during filming, I probably would have ran over there and just, like, started punching the guy. Like, he's... <laughs> abusing this woman who's just hired as an actress like this isn't fake he's like like and that's the thing about old movies man a good old movie is a movie where whenever a woman says anything that's just like somehow heightened she doesn't get the shit shook out of her or slapped out of her like that's so common in these days in these movies it's just the woman's just like well i don't agree there's like well how i don't you agree with me what's wrong with you like man this movie's hard to watch, and I hate that doctor because he's an abusive asshole. He slaps the shit out. I mean, he's and then he grabs okay. their face, okay, and throws them around. He's okay. literally the worst I think, guy. In I this think whole you need. I think you need to gear down just a little. No, now, we're I'm gearing not, up for no, this one, bud. No, hang on. I'm not one to 
at, by any means defend the abuse of women by any means. However, this is a doctor of the fi- of 1959, and you don't care. <laughs> medical there were, advice. There, there, there must have been doctors in 1959 that didn't slap the shit out of their patients. There had to have no. Apparently, when they were okay, I'm just gonna give a, a, a movie morsel right now for, for right. this scene because you're getting so worked up about it. So there needs to be I some hate explanation him. behind it. Um, getting a preemptive morsel gotta... here because I'm getting worked up. <laughs> this movie is full of the worst people. Okay. During the scene where Fran overdoses on sleeping pills, doctors were actually present on the set to advise accuracy on how to revive her. The harsh slaps that the doctor performs to keep Fran from becoming unconscious were all real. However, after the scene, the doctor told Billy Wilder that the actor should have slapped Shirley MacLaine harder. Wilder refused to shoot it again, though, after looking at McLean's red cheeks from being slapped so many times. She should, if she's still alive, she should sue the shit out of whatever friggin' movie company made this, if they're still around, like Universal or whoever it is. She should sue the shit out of the man. I feel like doing it. Like, ridiculous. And then they tell him to grab her face afterwards and be like, ah, are you listening to me, Fran? Are you listening to me? While I dig my fingers into your jaw? Like, God, man. They were. So this was definitely not Tavin's favorite. And those doctors aren't doctors. They are just people who loved slapping women. That's why they advise this. There's no medical reason to slap the shit out of somebody. They just like doing it. Okay, so the doctors they hired were frigging quacks, man. Movie morsel or not. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to get back into it. I'm so mad. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> this movie just made me so mad. I'm like, this is supposed to be a I Christmas movie. I was pretty movie. appalled watching it. I was just like, this is a, an atrocious film. Oh, it's so I- atrocious. All right, let's wrap the synopsis We'll get back into it. All right. So Baxter calls Sheldrake, and he's just like, hey, your mistress is over here, like, dying or whatever because you dumped her, and maybe you should talk to her. And he's just like, oh, Baxter, you you know what? I trust you to handle this situation. Yeah, gave her 100 bucks, which she wants to give back to him. Because she actually got him a Christmas present. Yes, which is very thoughtful cool and romantic. Present. Yeah, I, I, and he's just like, "Well, I, oh, I have something I, for you as well." And he just pulls out his wallet, and he's just like, "Here, hundred bucks. Get yourself uh, okay, something." Okay, nice. hang on, hang on, hang on. Let, let me talk about the scene real quick because this is oh, kind of how we do this. The the rickshaw boy scene. This is this is what I this this made me pause the movie, and I'm like, "What is this album? I need to look this album up." And it, it was called Rickshaw Boy. It turns out that the album is supposed to be uh, an album written by the the. Diner that was the play, order. wasn't it? Rickshaw Boy? I don't know if it was a play. No, that was, that was the record that they had. The record, yeah. The record that yeah, she record, gave yeah, yeah. Sheldrake. The record that she gave yeah, yeah. Sheldrake was called Rickshaw Boy, which is apparently an album that was performed and written by the diner owner that her and Sheldrake went to. Mm-hmm. Um, I got excited thinking there was like some old school album out there called Rickshaw Boy because I used to be a pedicab driver and I was like, oh, I, I know that lifestyle. Let me look this this up. Um, the, the best I could do was find two songs 
called uh, Rickshaw Boy. Um, and they, I meant to bring them as, as, as uh, examples to play, and I forgot to do that. So <laughs> Look them up, people. Look up Rickshaw. Yeah, look, look up the song Rickshaw Boy. Um, they're pretty. They're pretty funny songs. I think they're not really like so much songs. They're, they're all right. They're all right. It's a little Rickshaw Boy by Dennis Fernan, and uh, I forget the the other one. Uh, but yeah, there's at least two songs called Rickshaw Boy. No albums, but yeah, uh, it was a, that was a pause worthy moment for me in this in this movie. Oh yeah, Duff, Duffy Ravencroft. From 1958, okay. actually, Duffy Ravencroft's Rickshaw Boy from 1958. That one was, was actually that was like a popular um, phrase or like something of the time. Like Rickshaw Boy was in the zeitgeist of the late 50s. Yeah, that's what that suggests. Anyway, I, I digress. So Baxter and Kublik, it's noticed that they're uh, not at work because he's just staying home trying to take care of her, and uh, everyone assumes they're having an affair. And then Kublik's taxi driver brother-in-law comes looking for her. Oh, wait. He's like a Before tough guy. Before he does that, he gets her breakfast. Oh, right. Eggs, he asks me for oranges. What you need is a good horse. That's the doctor's wife. me, the doctor has no secrets. Poor girl. How could you do a thing like that? They think he drugged her or otherwise made her so depressed that she drugged herself. Yeah. And right away she thinks she's getting serious, marriage-wise. Big shot. For you, I wouldn't lift a finger. But for her, I'll make her some breakfast, she said, is going yeah. on to say. But they think he's this right scumbag because every night they'd hear the knocking and the screaming <laughs> from all the, like, the... Uh, the the uh, romantic for her, I'll uh, fix a little something to eat. Engagements. I'll fix a little something to eat. Yeah, they call the. Yeah. He's always like making a racket. He's like, he's like, I, he's like, she's at, he's at it again. He's always yelling. Yeah, he's uh, at it again. And like, there's one funny scene later where the doctor's coming home and he just sees some random woman knocking on the door, be like, let me in. Are we gonna have? And he's just like, oh my god! And he runs in to tell his wife. That was kind of funny. But, uh, okay, back to the synopsis of this movie, if you want to call it that. So the brother-in-law comes looking for Fran because she's been missing for days and she lives with her sister and him. Well, first he shows up to the office looking for her. He's, and they say, well, she's here, so go look for her here. And um, so, basically, Baxter draws the line. He's just like, I'm not doing it anymore. And so he actually gets, I mean, he keeps getting promoted. He gets promoted once and then he gets promoted again. But he he tells Sheldrake that, well, I'm getting a bit of ahead of it, I guess. Um, so the, the brother-in-law kind of beats the shit out of Baxter. <laughs> Punches him up pretty good anyway. And so Sheldrake fires his secretary because he finds out that she told on him. Classic move, like man, oh, I hate the Sheldrake so much, and I hate—I don't even like his face. Like, I would like to see this actor in something else to see if it's just him or if it's the character. But I cannot stand that guy. He—he he seems like that kind of a guy. I hate to like judge uh, someone by their uh, face, but uh, like, apparently, he, he looks exactly like that guy. Like, uh, apparently, um, for, was it Frank McMurray? Frank McMurray. 
Yeah, apparently yeah. he's like known for for being in very wholesome, like family friendly roles. Really? And this was wow. quite the opposite. This was of him stepping outside of his. Okay. A little bit, yeah. Now, yeah. a family friendly in the fifties, he was still probably smacking the wife around. So it's only so family friendly, <laughs> <laughs> and probably the kids too, for that matter. Um, okay. So back to the synopsis. So. So um, the secretary ends up telling Sheldrake's wife, so he gets kicked out. And he's like living at the athletic club, but he can't take his mistresses there because the athletic club is only for men. So he still wants to use Baxter's apartment. And Baxter's is like, no, like we're not doing it anymore. And he's just like, look, Baxter, if you don't let me do this, you're basically fired. So Baxter pulls out a key. And he gives, he's like, give me the key. So he gives Sheldrake the key. And he walks out and he's grabbing his coat and he's about to leave. And just like, Sheldrake's like, oh, you, you gave me the wrong key. He's, this is the key to the, they have like an executive bathroom. And he's just like, no, uh, that's the right key. And then he just walks out. So the like, he finally does the right thing and becomes slightly better a person. Well, it is America. <laughs> There's got to be a gun lying around. Say, Baxter, we're having a little party. We ran out of ice. I was wondering. Sure, Doc. How come you're alone on New Year's Eve? Well, I got things to do. What's this? You're packing? Yeah. Giving up the apartment. Where are you moving to? I don't know. Yeah, look, he even hates the apartment now. It's like, it's just bad Sorry, like, you, memories on how me? friggin' weak he was. Give me my body. It's got old man paint stank in it. I don't blame him. Oh, yeah, I, it must stink in there. It's awful. In the 60s? Come on now. We got two Dude, that place literally looks like it smells bad. A proctologist and three laces from Bellevue. No, thanks. I don't feel like it. Then he well, cooks pasta on a friggin' tennis racket. How much do I owe you for taking care of that girl? Forget it. I, didn't I don't know if you noticed, but like neighbor. days after she's gone, way, he like pulls up the racket and there's still a wet noodle. Yeah, that made me laugh. Days after he made spaghetti. Go. Yeah, <laughs> that was actually fun. See, there were things in this like the direction was quite good, other than he let that that dickhead there slap the shit out of Shirley MacLaine. That's not a good director's move, man. There are ways to fake this shit even in the '60s, but they didn't care. They were just like, the director's just like, yeah, go slap the shit out of Shirley MacLaine. She should sue the shit out of them. There are ways to fake the... Oh, I don't grab her by the Turn hair. That Turn that off. Turn that off. I, I don't even want to see I it. don't know. I don't, no. I don't know how. Get rid of it. Yeah, you do. Don't do this to me, Murphy. All right. So, Fran finds out about all of this. About Sheldrake, because she was even going to take him back again, which is what makes her a very unlikable character. Like, she's just... Ugh, like, like, he's so easy to see through. Like, he, she didn't need the secretary to tell her that Sheldrake was a piece of shit. It was very obvious. Maybe not in the 60s, but man, very obvious. Like, like she's cheating. He's cheating on his wife with her. So, obviously, he's a piece of shit. Like, I don't like when someone draws the line. It's just like... Oh, well, like, this is what kind of fucking pisses me off about Star Trek, too, because, like, 
Michelle, like Gene Roddenberry was banging Major Barrett and Michelle Nichols, and she's just like Michelle Nichols cut broke it off because she's like, I don't want to be the other woman to the other woman. It's just like, well, you were for a while. Like <laughs> anyway, people have such flexible morals, man. Back then, it's like whatever. I mean, you got to survive, I guess. But man, it's very frustrating. Well, after all the hardship and the suicide attempts. Oh, this is the last scene that they start the trailer off with. How do you start the trailer off with the last scene in the movie? I know. I've never seen that before. That's insane. I love you, Miss Kubelik. This, they even have him say that. Like, this is literally the conclusion of the movie. I absolutely adore you. Was that the real trailer? Did they really have trailers that they played yeah, back then? Yeah, that was then? the official like, trailer. It would be I in a theater, the you'd go into it. Yeah. Like, you could only see trailers back then in the theater. They didn't play them on TV. So you'd have to go to see a movie, and I guess they would probably end or start it with the trailer. I feel like they would come at the end back then. I'll have to look that up. Why well, yeah, I, I trailers? I couldn't honestly remember. Well, if it was, it was, I think They I think definitely weren't on TV. Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't on TV. But yeah, to, to wrap up this this classic piece of shit movie, basically Shirley MacLaine's Frank... They play Gin Rummy. They, well, they play Jim <laughs> Rummy after she goes through a bout of suicide attempts and, and jilted lovers with old men that are twice her age. Uh, she realizes that the man that's roughly her, her age is probably the better option, so she goes to play Jim Rummy. Ask them to deal. Harry's an ogre, man. It's not even like he's an attractive older man. He's just like friggin' ogre. Like, (laughs) anyway. Oh, God. I mean, maybe it's the power. I don't know. But anyway, that's the synopsis. That's the. So eventually those two get together and you're supposed to be happy about it, but I'm not. Um, No. Let's stop talking about the apartment. Is there any wait, wait, final wait. thoughts? Do you want to... I've explained how much I hate everything in this movie. Jack Lemmon, though, yep. is a great actor. You can get that from this, even though it's horrible. He's clearly one of the best. So Jack Lemmon's your, probably your favorite actor in the film? Oh, yeah, let's get into it. Well, we did the plot, and that was horrible. Uh, <laughs> well, let's do this one. This would be interesting. Which scene would you hold up, Murphy? Um, You know... Did I? Oh, I had it set up, but I think I might have actually removed it from the thing. Uh, the one scene that I kind of liked um, was when I actually no, the one scene I would say held up the most for me was the opening apartment scene. Just just the mm. forced perspective shot and how like they made it seem super busy. Like that was the mm-hmm. strongest portion of this film was kind of like the opening dialogue and, and yeah, you know, I agree with you. Actually, it's all a downhill friggin' slide from there. <laughs> a real steep, steep slide. To, to yeah, man. Um, I agree with you. I started off. I'm like, oh, this is like well directed, and this could be all right, but no, no. Not yeah. So, it's which performance would you hold up for me again? It is Jack Lemmon. He's clearly very good. Surely, yeah, Jack Lemmon, charming and beautiful. But I would hold up Jack Lemmon. Uh, and honestly, honestly, as much as he plays a horrible, like horrible person, Boothby, he was the best of all the like a cheater uh, higher ups in the company. The guy who plays Boothby. 
in Star Trek. Uh, I think I know what guy you're talking about. Yeah, let me let me pull this up real quick. Hello, Mr. Dobish. Yeah, Dobish, that's him. Dobish is Boothy. There he is. Yeah, see, it's Boothy. I'm sorry about that mess on the living room wall. You see, my little friend, she kept insisting Picasso was a bum, so she started to do that mural. <laughs> hey, Murphy, what was that mess on the living room wall? To my apartment supposed to leave it under the bat. But I did, didn't I? I just I don't remember bending over and putting it I don't back. want to answer that. It is the wrong key. <laughs> well, how about that? No wonder I couldn't get into the executive washroom this morning. And I couldn't get into my apartment. So at 4 a.m. I got a wake up the landlady. All right. Get it. Get it. That's Boothby. <laughs> yeah, that's Boothby. That's the performance I was hold up. What about you, Jack Lemon? Uh... You know what? Honestly, for me, it's this guy. Oh, don't even say doctor. Good evening, We're done here. We're done here. Yeah, some clown Episode over. I don't need Slappy McGee here. I'm not saying his, his it was great, but I felt he like he acted the role really well. Yeah, he's Will Smith's hero. What? I mean, it's just once in a while I have a few people in for a drink. As a matter of fact, you must be an Iron Man all around. From what I hear through the walls, you got something going for you every night. He does love ripping Jack Lemmon about his promiscuous nature, and that can be kind of funny. Right? Like, that's what I was digging out of the character. He's going to say there, but he keeps telling him it's a bad idea. He's like, look, you're going to die young if you keep living like that. Like, it's not good for you. When you make out your will, and the way you're going, you should. Yeah, see, there it is. Would you mind leaving your body to the university? <laughs> that was a funny My line body. too. Actually. <laughs> I didn't hate that doctor until he slapped the shit out of Shirley MacLaine. Slow down, kids. And then I did. Yeah. Yeah. The setting aesthetic was actually quite good. Um, yeah, the I'll setting aesthetic that. was kind of cool. Um, I, I like it was. It was. It was interesting. I'll give it that. You know. Um, hmm. Especially yeah. in the open, it was the building in the room, and even yeah, the they, they, like it, they, it feels they, lived in for certain. Yeah, the, the doesn't feel the like whole, a set. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Even though I think it was actually, which is ironic. Um, it probably was, yeah. Yeah, because like technically, I the layout doesn't ter- entirely work with the way his neighbor was, or something like that. Anyway, I guess this is the point when we get into some movie morsels about the apartment. What do you yeah, say? Yeah, Murphy, get on to those movie morsels. I'll be back in before you're done, I swear. All right. All right, so with our, the apartment in 1960, to create the effect of a vast sea of faces laboring grimly and impersonally, at the desks in the huge insurance company's office, designer Alex Troner and Edward G. Boyle devised an interesting technique. They used full-size actors that sat at the desks in the front and children dressed in suits were used at tiny desks towards the rear, followed by even smaller desks with cutout figures operated by wires. It gave the effect of a much larger space than could have been achieved with a limited studio screen. And this is where I wow Davin with that information. So this this whole scene here, you can tell, is uh, it's got actors up in the front, but it also has like kids in the back, just um, 
just working away in suits. Like, it's kind of funny, really, when you think about it. Um, and I will digress. I'm losing steam here. Uh, right. This, uh, blah, blah, blah. So that was the first one. Uh, to, then on the office Christmas party scene uh, was actually filmed on December 23rd, 1959. So as to catch everybody in the proper holiday mood, Billy Wilder filmed almost all of it on the first take, stating to observer, I wish it were this easy today. I can just show action and stand back. Billy Wilder and I.L. Diamond would not allow even the slightest deviation from the script. Shirley MacLaine drove them crazy with her ad-libbing. She was forced to do one of the elevator scenes five times because she kept missing one word. Um, and then Billy Wilder would then give Jack Lemmon free reign to fill in the character of C.C. Bud Baxter in performance. He compared the actor favorably to Charles Chaplin and thought he could do no wrong. Which, like, okay, so nobody can deviate from the script, but Jack, he's good. He's basically Chaplin. Um, and then we've got for... Uh, this was the last black and white movie to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards until The Artist in 2011 and Schindler's List in 1993, which won in 94. Uh, it was not completely black and white, as some scenes were in color, like the girl in the red coat and the candle at the beginning. Um, no mer movies must have came out that year, Murphy. It must have been just <laughs> 19... <laughs> yeah, this movie. They, they take a, there must have been a strike, a writer's strike or something. It must have been just uh, The film was lauded by Soviet bloc critics as an indictment of the American system and a story that could only have happened in a capitalistic city like New York. At a dinner okay, here's my point. okay, I got to cut you off for a second here, Murphy. Sorry. Okay. Um, here's the problem. Like, you get the impression while watching this movie that it's a 1960s attempt to say that misogyny is bad. But when 90 friggin' 5% of your movie is misogyny and that message is just very thinly, thinly veiled, like, you, like it barely says that that it doesn't it's not effective it's not an effective means to portray that message if that's what they were going for like they and i think they probably were because the 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 shitty higher-ups in the company are so over the top shitty but but everyone is like so where's the the shining light through all of this you know man <laughs> it's i mean um there really wasn't much of a shining light through all of this. Like I said, when no. when I first told you, I'm like, that was some Christmas movie. <laughs> like, like it was, there was a Christmas was tree. Really misogyny. Oh, fucking cat in your fur. Sorry, baby. Yeah. Look, this is not a Christmas movie. I mean, it, it, I guess it is because it happens at Christmas. But compared to the other two movies, it's not. This is barely a Christmas movie. This is like the I Heart Huckabees of environmentalism. This time I messed up and not Murphy. <laughs> I had that very thought of like this is the this is yeah. this is a Christmas yeah. movie as to what I heard Huckabee. My bad. Environmentalism. We're just gonna fuck up back and forth on this podcast. So next time it's Murphy's <laughs> turn to pick a friggin' unrelatable movie. Oh but. fuck. Um, yeah. All right, so let, let's let's dive back into these because like I. I try to, uh, there's there's some movie morsels to this film. You miss some decent ones, but you'll have to catch it on the replay. Did any of them make the movie less reprehensible? Um, 
no, not, I mean, some of it put some of it highlights a lot of stuff about it. Let me just get into this, please. The film was lauded by Soviet bloc critics as an indictment of the American system and a story that could only have happened in a capitalistic city like New York. At a dinner honoring him in East Berlin, Billy Wilder said the movie could happen anywhere in Hong Kong, Tokyo, Rome, Paris, London. When Wilder said the one place it could not have happened was Moscow, the East Germans broke into thunderous applause and cheers. When the ovation died down, Wilder continued, the reason this picture could not have taken place in Moscow is that in Moscow, nobody has his own apartment. The remark was met with grim silence. Um, in the scene where not Carl true punches... or funny. <laughs> I mean, it's Cold War. They're just bashing the Russians for, like, any reason. Exactly, but... exactly. Um, in the scene where Carl punches Baxter, Jack Lemon was supposed to mime being punched. He failed to move correctly and was accidentally knocked down. Billy Wilder chose to use the shot of the genuine punch in the film to get Fran to look to, to, to get Shirley McLean's Fran to to get Shirley McLean's Fran to look genuinely startled with her brother-in-law punches Calvin. Uh, director Billy Wilder smacked together two pieces of two by four during the shot. So that's that's, that's kind of like a nice startler. Yeah, or you could have let the actress act, but you know whatever. Uh, well, you know, you can't leave the acting to some lady folk. <laughs> uh, Jack Lemon related. This later. is making it worse. These commercials <laughs> are making it worse, Murphy. Oh boy. Oh. Uh, Jack Lemon related later in life how Billy Wilder kept his film editor, Don Harrison, on set with him at all times as associate producer and never made a shot until they both discussed it. As a result, he was able to shoot sparingly cut the film in camera and eliminate costly setups that might, that might never be used. Um, I think Billy Wilder is probably a good director. Yeah. But. Yeah. He's definitely a good director. Um, but you know, his choice yeah. of film is questionable. Yeah. Uh, this is the first best picture Oscar winner to specifically refer to a previous winner in the case of two of them. First Grand Hotel in 1932, which Baxter attempts to watch on his television, but is too long delayed because of commercials. Uh, Bud's boss also refers to Bud and Fran having a lost weekend together in Bud's apartment, a reference to Billy Wilder's early Oscar winner, The Lost Weekend from 1945. Uh, okay. so Jack, I'm going to rewind next issue, and I'm going to look up all the other movies that came out in 1960. Okay. That's next next episode. Next episode. Yeah. Uh, Jack Lemon was playing there with won't a be any, spray so I don't even have to look up anything. <laughs> Jack Lemon was playing with a nasal spray prop in uh, his dressing room and discovered it gave a sharp squeeze. It would squirt 10 feet. He uh, filled it with milk to make the liquid visible on black and white film. And when Fred McMurray chastises him for creating a problem around the use of the apartment, Levin gave the operate uh, gave the container a squeeze. The milk shot out and sailed right past McMurray's nose. Bill Wilder left the take in the film. Um, we've got oh yeah this stuff this is what this is what stood to me after giving or after getting the rickshaw boy album uh sheldrake gives fran a hundred dollars cash and tells her to get herself something pretty the hundred dollars cash they sell nice things down at this store go something to that go go to that store yeah the, the hundred dollar cash christmas gift is equivalent to 950 dollars today uh, in 1959, 
Uh, it was in, it was stated early in the movie that CC Baxter gets paid ninety four dollars and seventy cents a, yeah, week, a week, and yeah. pays eighty five dollars a month for his his one bedroom apartment. Uh, yeah. That equivalent is ninety four. How about that inflation? Is nine hundred and seventy dollars a week, and his rent love that is eight hundred and seventy dollars a month. Which shit you not? His rent should be eight hundred and seventy dollars a month. But New York, for an apartment like that, it's probably closer to three grand a month, if not more. Oh, so he has a huge apartment for New York. Like that apartment would have already been redone into six apartments. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Fun fact about his apartment: CC Baxter is just a poor accountant, but inside of his apartment are two authentic Tiffany lamps. Uh, which range from the price of thirty to forty thousand dollars each. Uh, yeah, thirty this to forty thousand dollars each today. Huge. Um, wow. Look at that yeah. closet. He has a three door yeah. closet. Three door closet. Uh, kitchen space. A full bedroom. There's a there's a, probably a full bathroom through the bedroom. So there's a bedroom in the bathroom. He's a large oh, we see his bathroom, room. don't we? I think he's in there at one point. Yeah, she's friends in there. Yeah, That's where she finds the sleeping pills. Yeah, he he like he starts freaking out and he like uh, hides the razor and his stuff from her because he he, he thinks she's gonna fucking just go nuts. Yeah, those Tiffany lamps in the corner there. Oh like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. 30... It certainly is. I've seen one of those recently. Said, oh yeah, that's those lamps he's... can run anywhere from thirty to forty thousand dollars today. You know what? You can also find them at Value Village. So you just got to be there on the right day. True. Uh, <laughs> according to Fred McMurray, after the film's released, he was accosted by women in the street who bothered him for making a dirty, filthy movie. And one of them hit him with her Good. purse because, Good. She, because she brought her six-year-old son to thinking it was a oh, Disney that's a film. Mistake. That's just a mistake. Of, well, <laughs> look, dude. I got no excuses for that. It's clearly not a Disney film. It doesn't say Disney anywhere. It's called The Apartment. What does that have to do with Disney? That's not a smart parent. Well, apparently, he, he Fred McMurray was like synonymous with like Disney films and stuff back in the day. Oh, yeah. Um, I have to look up what Miss, he's done, too, because he did look familiar. I know I've seen him before. Uh, Miss Dreyfus, the neighbor of C.C. Baxter and the wife of the doctor, is describing the Playboy lifestyle that she thinks Baxter lives to Fran Kublik. Miss Dreyfus. Miss Dreyfus refers to him as a regular King Farouk. King Farouk, living from yep. 1920 to 1965, was one of the last king with the last kings of Egypt. He was renowned for his extravagant lifestyle and an international playboy with many marriages and mistresses. Uh, I like that. See, that's a historical morsel. I like those ones, Murphy. You like those ones? I'll try and find more yeah. of those ones for you. Yeah, yeah, is uh, that it? Is that the morsels? We we got we got. Final three morsels here, and then I've I've decided right. to add a few more things to the morsels. Just just things that I. I that oh I my god, we're already in an hour on this goddamn horrible movie. I, I know. It, trust me, the 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 stuff like I tried finding, and it like uh, it's it's ridiculous. Billy Wilder and Ia Diamond based the film partially on a Hollywood scandal in which high-powered agent Jennings Lang was shot by producer Walter Wagner for having an affair with Wagner's wife, actress Joan Bennett. Uh, during the affair, Lang used a low-level employee's apartment. Another element of the plot was based on the experience of one of Diamond's friends who returned home after breaking up with his girlfriend to find that she had committed suicide in his bed. 
<laughs> just like, wow, okay, wow, they're really, really writing what they know in this film, which is just makes yeah. it even worse. Um, yeah, they know misogyny. The and uh, shitty doctors. And and from the cover of our, our episode, the inebriated Santa from the bar scene uh, is the same mm. actor Hal Smith who played the inebriated Otis Campbell on the Andy Griffith Show in the 1960s. Um, it's a deep cut that no one will understand who's listening to this podcast. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I talked about the doctors on set earlier, so we can skip that one. So this leads us yeah. to the final one. Uh, although the film continues to find new generations of viewers who love it, many Which... of the objects seen are nearly obsolete in 2022. These include adding machines, typewriters, and their dust covers, special paper, carbons, and erasers, LP records and players, though vinyl is making a comeback, rotary dial telephones, desk pen sets, small screen analog televisions, Furs stoles, Hamburg hats for men as everyday wear, switchboard and elevator operators, typing pools, milk delivery, mercury thermometers, and a multitude of others. On the other hand, club sandwiches, cocktails, dive bars, frozen microwavable meals, insurance, infidelity, cheese crackers, TV remotes, and the love of classic movies continue to be staples of everyday life. And New York City will always be New York City. And people would still like that Tiffany lamp and possibly that year of champagne. But other than that, there's nothing here. All right, M Murphy. Rewatchability. Would you ever watch this movie again? I would never watch this movie that at the time... Me neither! ...was a budget of $3 million. Which today is worth $30 million. It's like a hundred and... Like, ugh. Three million dollars to make this movie, and they grossed twenty-four million six hundred thousand dollars worldwide in nineteen fifty-nine. They Shirley like, McLean probably got paid fifty bucks for this. Probably yeah. the film was uh, was uh, cinematographer was Joseph Lachiel and edited by Daniel Mandel. Those are my movie most Murphy, does this movie hold up? Good God, no! It does not. Hold Good up God, yet. no! Good God, no! <laughs> it is. This if you want a lesson on misogyny, holding up of holding up in the history oh. of this show. And it you know what? I hated Southland Tales and I Heart Huckabees, but this movie. You know, you know what? This movie might be better than those two movies, but it holds oh, up first because it's so. No, it's honestly there's like at least a good direction and a good performance from Jack Lemmon, and those two movies didn't have either of those things. They were both badly directed and had no. Uh, redeemable performances but this holds up worse because it's just so misogynistic and you're not wrong you're not wrong <laughs> you're no not wrong. it's like there's there's no way you could show this to like a group of like 18 year olds and have it not blow their minds on how the world used to be <laughs> like like wow yeah let's some, move on some from may this even movie. pine for it yeah, let's move on. Yeah, so two no's, two no's from us. All right, That's... fire us up a trailer for an actual good movie. Theater 2. One of, uh, look, I'll two. spoil my thing. One of the great movies of all time. Get that freaking image of, Je yeah, there we go. Theater 2, Gremlins, 1984, the year I was born. Man, there was a lot of good movies in 1984, I'll tell you right. I was born on a good year. Starring Zach Galligan, Corey Feld, a young Corey Feldman. And um, 
and uh, Phoebe Cates, who I gotta say I had a mad crush on when I was a kid. If, if you were, if you're somewhere around my age and you didn't have a crush on Phoebe Cates, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, and directed, he... but man, everybody did. I swear, everybody did. Um, and directed by Joe Dante, who is like nothing but hits, man. Joe Dante, we had him earlier on this podcast because he directed Matinee, which we loved. Uh, we did love Matinee. Uh, we sure but, did. Uh, I, I gotta say, Gremlins kind of felt lacking. Don't do it. To me. Don't do so it. Let's watch oh, this trailer and get into okay. it. Oh, we're getting into it. Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, mm-hmm. is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're gonna like this. No, 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 don't shake it. Murphy, every scene in this movie is awesome. I don't know how you're gonna fight me on this. What is wrong with you? It's your new pet. Every scene is memorable. It's all so good. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. They become clever. Really this stuff is timeless, man. Like, this stuff is never faded for people's memory. And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? You could ask anyone to this day what happens to a gremlin if you get a wet or a bog light. Everyone will know. It's unforgettable. They've been here too. Billy, what are these things? Where do they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy. I know. But in a few hours, you're going to have a major disaster on your hands. <laughs> that movie's great too. Oh, this movie's awesome. Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you. Music by Jerry Goldsmith. This is great stuff, Murphy. I can't believe you're gonna. Uh, we're we're gonna have a fight. I know it. All right, that's why people tune into this podcast to hear us fight. I guess. Um, Murphy, you're muted, by the way. Sorry, sorry. It's it's become yeah. the cream of the crop of our entertainment. I didn't realize it was muted. Sorry. Um, yeah, I don't. I think. Do it. I think what Just it is. Hold your hold everything you're about to say and think about it first. Think if that's really what you want to say. Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. I think Gremlins Two is better. <laughs> what? What did you just <laughs> say, Murphy? Do you even understand why Joe Dante made Gremlins 2? Gremlins 2 is a parody of Gremlins 1. He parodied his own movie because he didn't want to make a sequel. He knew he made a perfect movie, and there was like, make a sequel. He's like, all right, well, I'm not going to give a shit, and I'm just going to make it insane. Look, I love Gremlins 2 as well, okay? 
This is this is this this is my childhood. These movies. This anything that came out in the eighties, the late eighties. That's the that was my bread and butter, man. So I love Gremlins too, but it's not a good movie. It just it's just a, a bunch of hilarious scenes. This movie is a perfect movie. Every scene is memorable to this day. It it's a bunch of like um, the characters are great, great character scenes. actors like Dick Miller. No man, like for a movie, and there's like one the just like out of very... nowhere, dark as hell scene, which is just like okay, that was. Yo, that's what this movie is though. Like, it's it's funny, but it's it's kind of equally dark at the same time. It's there's a, like a lot of good movies are like that. Like another well, it's, movie it's I'm a, gonna bring into this podcast comedy, at some point, right? like Arachnophobia. There's another one like that. Oh God, you're funny. gonna make me watch Arachnophobia. You don't like Arachnophobia? Uh, well, are, are we talking? Are we talking the like John Goodman? What? I was thinking. Um... Oh, what's his name? Buddy from Ready to Rumble. Uh, Why does everything come back to Ready to Rumble with you, Mayor Murphy? What's his, who's the lead actor in Ready to Rumble? He's like he's he's like no, it's Ready to Rumble. I don't care. Friends. Oh, what's his name? The actor from Friends. No, no, the, David uh, Schwimmer. Yeah, like not not David Schwimmer. Um. Damn, now I gotta like look this up. You mean Arquette? Yes, David Arquette. Yes. Are you talking about David arachnophobia Arquette? with David Arquette? No, he's not in that, is he? He's not the main guy in it. If he isn't it, the main per person in it is like I'm pretty sure Bill Pullman and John Goodman. Good actors, not not David Arquette. <laughs> I don't know. I remember David Arquette being in some terrible cheesy spider horror movie. And I was like, these this is terrible. Any movie. Oh, I think he's right? in that one, like no, I think that's some stupid movie later. It's like Eight Crazy Legs or something like that, it's called, or some shit. Yeah. Arachnophobia. That's you, I don't think you've seen Arachnophobia, and that's a friggin' good movie. But I don't, I don't know why we're talking about that. We're talking about Gremlins. Gremlins is a perfect movie, Murphy. It's, it's not one a of the best movies. Movie, it's pretty much a perfect movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it and like it's still like it. Does it, oh, well, spoil it, does it hold up? Look, I could watch this movie a thousand more times, and I probably will. Like, it's so good, man. Like, it starts, look, let's get into the synopsis, and I'll explain while I'm going, because this synopsis is super long, why all these scenes are amazing. So we're in Kingston Falls, a small town in the northeast of the USA. And, you know, it's it's been hit hard by job losses and stuff, so... Rand Peltzer, uh, the father of, of Billy, he's a great character. He's one of these guys who like just invents random bullshit that no one could ever want, but then he's also trying to sell it. He's the salesman as well. He's funny, man. He walks into that, like, the, the old antique store, and he's just, like, showing Buddy the thing, and he's just like, look, you know, you want some of these? I can get you 30 of these. You want... A hundred of these, I can get you a hundred of these. And he's just like, look, I can have this stuff here to you by Tuesday. And he just never stops talking. He's just like the, the uh, like. He should have been a radio commercial of his salesman. Is what he should have been. He's, yeah, he should have been. So he's a cool character. And when you go back to their house, like this is a very eighties movie. Let me okay, let me talk about this for a second. Eighties movies were obsessed with puppets. Okay. And of all the puppet, and especially cutie things. Okay, like the like Gizmo. Okay, mm -hmm. and of all those movies, 
And they're even coming out since then. Like, Baby Yoda is just a shit gizmo. If there was no gizmo, there would be no that abomination piece of shit. Um, no Grogu. So, so Gizmo was, like, the most likable and relatable of all these puppets. These cutie puppets that there's ever been. He is the best one. And as far as, like the gremlins go it's the same thing like there were a lot of things movies like ghoulies and critters and they were these movies with like little demon puppets things and again the gremlins are the best version of that so when you put this movie in its time and all the things it's surrounded by oh look at that cute little i love gizmo man i had a stuffed gizmo as a kid and i loved it and i had like the little rubber action figure uh gremlins too stripe and all and like those guys so i i loved the gremlins and like the, everything's memorable like everyone who's seen this movie can even whistle the or hum the mogwai tune like everything about this movie is so well done it's unforgettable you can't forget any of it like i mean like it's it's so that's what a good movie is. It's super enjoyable while you're watching it, and like each scene stands out on its own, even though it's this cohesive whole. Like in that scene too, like Dick Miller is amazing in everything, but his wife and she's like such a space cadet. She's unforgettable too. She weirded me out when I was a kid because she's just always staring. I don't think she blinks in this whole movie. Like she's <laughs> just this like strange like kind of space cadet, like. Man, all right, synopsis. <laughs> so he walks into Mr. Wing's uh, shop in Chinatown. He tries to sell him all this stuff. And he's also looking for a present for his son, Billy, played by Zach Galligan. And he finds this uh, creature in a box, because it's like making sounds and whistling. And he's just like, what is this? And he's just like, not for sale! Because he knows what happens to it. And like he knows like you can't give this friggin' mogwai to a white person and have them not feed it after midnight and get it wet. It's like you just say, No, get out of my store. So but again, like everyone in this town is having hard times. So the old man goes away and the his grandson says like, Yeah, I'll sell you this because look, we we do need the money. Like the store's probably gonna close otherwise. So he sells uh, Gizmo to uh rand and then so he takes it home and he wraps it up in a box of course yeah and we meet billy his son and uh billy works at the bank and there's a horrible woman i have a an image of her there who comes into the bank oh my god she's like the worst person ever so she hates billy's dog and she wants him put down for like knocking her snowman over her ceramic yeah. snowman decoration. Her ceramics. Isn't extreme? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like, it's ceramic in winter. It was going to crack and break anyway. Like, oh. Plastic okay. existed here, back then. Here, <laughs> all right. Here, here's, here was the first issue of this movie that I had. Was this woman comes in and she's all like, I want this dog put down. And I'm just like, yeah. that's an extreme reaction, lady. I don't think you should need yeah, to put that's that her. down. And then the dog fucking attacks and bites the sure shit does. Over. Yeah, yeah. Then all of a sudden, her claims of wanting the dog put down yep. have become validated. Mm -hmm. 
that's what makes a good movie, Murphy. So, like, you could just leave her as this. No, let me listen. Listen, you could just leave her as this cliche who's in hundred percent wrong. But that's not interesting. Like, she could have come in there, mouthed off, and like walked out, and everyone in the audience would just be like, "Okay, she's horrible. That's the end of that." But instead, he, there is a legitimate claim there, like eventually. So that's like. It adds like layers and depth to that character who could have just been an easy, easy cliche. Like maybe that dog did get aggressive with her another time, you know, because it hates her because she's horrible. The dog knows. Well, this. I mean, I would have so. to believe her if she said it did, because like clearly, yeah, you would. Like, the dog is not well. And like trained. clearly, okay. and Billy's a bit of a fuck up. Like he didn't train. He's his a dog. big fuck up. He's also a yeah. sociopath. He's an absolute. Why Billy a sociopath? Yes, he's a sociopath. You don't believe Who's me? Billy watch, the scenes of, watch the scenes of him. Okay, you want to see? All right. W- Billy gets gets Gizmo. We're we're gonna try and speed through this this plot synopsis yeah, yeah. a little bit. Everyone's seen Billy, Gremlins. Yeah, anyone, <laughs> don't need anyone to belabor the synopsis. So eventually, yeah, yeah he gets Mel, uh, Gizmo wet and feeds him after midnight. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, no, Gizmo uh, feeds himself. No, not exactly. Yeah, he leaves out the chicken, and then Gizmo eats the chicken. But he didn't mean. No, Gizmo that. doesn't eat the chicken because Gizmo's. Oh no, because Gizmo. Gizmo. See, Gizmo's smart, and he knows all these things will will be bad. So he doesn't want to get wet, and he doesn't want to eat after midnight. Gizmo's actually a very cool character. Yeah, well, see what happens in this scene uh, when Gizmo gets wet. I had to come. So I see. Is he's he's getting he's getting hyped up by this Clark Gable Clark Clark Gable movie yeah yeah Clark Gable sorry I, I want to say Clark Brace for some reason yeah this Clark, Clark Gable movie and it's like those puppet scenes like he's just seemed uglier than what I remember in two and it's well, he does that's what I remember in two yeah Gizmo's right? like that man when he gets into it he gets kind of like. Uh, aggressive looking, like, and that's the thing. What are you gonna tell because the other Mogwais don't look as nice as him. So Billy, being the dumbass that he is, uh, decides to bring up Corey Feldman to his room and immediately takes his shirt off, which I'm sure Corey Feldman's been, you know, familiarized with at that age. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> he was changing his what? shirt. Zach Galligan seems like a fine man, a fine individual. He was not exploiting. Young that, yeah, Corey Zach Galligan's a fine man, and I, I'm just saying that that the, the the men that Corey Feldman were around at that time were not fine men. Oh yeah, abuse that poor kid. Well, look, I'm not going to stick up for Hollywood as a whole. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it's a horrible like, place. What, like this movie? They 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 discover a new creature, and they're all just kind of calm and cool with it, right? We're getting spammed in the comments. Can you block those guys, Murphy? Sure. <laughs> Are we now? Yeah. So in this scene, you know, he's, he he proceeds to show off to Corey Feldman's character. And he's like, can I pet him? And then Corey Feldman just elbows a cup of water all over him. Oh, yeah, that's how he got wet. This cute creature becomes terribly tortured and horrified. Like, it's yeah. the most gruesome scene. Like, this is yeah, kind is. of horrific as hell. Yeah, and, it is. This movie Billy has everything. Just, Billy here just watches like nothing's going on. This is supposed to be a scary movie. 
Like, uh, yeah, it's but he's to not terrified. He's looking on with like a sick joy, especially later on when he brings Gizmo to Dr. Hansen. I tried to get that scene cut to show it earlier, but it wasn't going on. No, but this is fascinating stuff, man. You would be like captivated by what's happening here. Yeah, but I mean, if you cared about the creature, you would also like, you oh, know. Yeah. You try to help Gizmo, I agree. Yeah. But I guess he's just, that, they just they're just kind of in shock. You'd also be scared to touch something that's shooting tiny versions of itself out of its back. I mean, I it worse. Would be you know too, what I mean. You I sort of have to like take a, uh, there, a cautious approach here. Yeah, Mogwais. I think I had a Stripe Mogwai too. Stripe was cool, legend. Oh yeah, until he became an evil villain. He's a legend then, too. He just got silly in the second movie, where there's just like all the Mogwais and Gremlins are kind of like stupid. Yeah, Stripe. Yeah, he'll bite you, man. Stripe don't give a shit. See, that's the thing. See, this is what's interesting about this movie. Why is... And this is the question you're left to wonder about. And which is what makes kind of uh, Gizmo kind of a hero character. Because most Mogwais are horrible. Even before they're gremlins, Mogwais kind of suck. But Gizmo doesn't suck. And I, I think that is explained subtly in the movie by the fact that that's the reason why the old man was keeping Gizmo. Because he's from a place where they know about Mogwais and there's Mogwais or whatever. But, you know, the mystical well, Orient back in the day. <laughs> but, like, um,. But he found this Mogwai who's actually very cool, so he kept it, you know. But most of them are terrible. And tried to take and care of it, the, and, you know. Yeah. Like keeping it in a very small box you know, kind of sucks for him. Like, Gizmo didn't have a good life. There's a reason he loves Billy. Well, I mean... He loves I, the old I man, too, why. actually. Like, he, he loves the old man, too. Gizmo's just full of love. He's a great guy. I don't know. I just feel like everyone's a little too comfortable exploiting a, a new species because basically, when the dad finds out that uh, you can oh well, the dad's a friggin' water a shyster man. He's a it, he's a businessman through and through. That old man would sell fifty gizmos if he could. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This old man is a new hot toy of the year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the Furbies. Yeah, without Gizmo, there'd be no Furbies. Like, Gizmo... every There's so many things based on Gizmo. And if you say Baby Yoda's not just Gizmo, you're lying to yourself. Like, But, like, that's when I stopped watching that Star Wars show. Like, literally, the minute they introduced Baby Gizmo, me and Tiffany stopped watching it. We're like, okay, that's the end of that show. But The very last scene of the first season? No. Or no, first episode. Introduce way, yeah, first episode. Yeah, yeah, we were done. You stopped watching The Mandalorian after the first episode. As soon as they introduced Baby Yoda, I knew the rest of the show would be shit. They literally steal the 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 uh, wolf and cub. That's yeah, all. Yeah, lone is. wolf, and, wolf cub. and cub. Yeah, it's lone wolf and cub. It's a story we've seen before, but without a stupid baby friggin' Gizmo, like a Baby Yoda, like. So you, so you, like the, you can you can you can you can come up with ideas or you can make a baby Yoda, pick one, because that's not an idea. 
that's a cheap gimmick. And and that's that's and there's been so many of those since Gizmo. There's been so many of those since Gizmo because of Gizmo. Because Gizmo was great. People are just like, well, we could it's been ten years, maybe we can introduce a Gizmo. But no, you're not Gizmo. You're uh 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 Look at this. <laughs> Gremlin. <coughs> yeah, I got my gremlins. I just I bought it for the baby. This is the baby's but I'm boring. And look, it's stripe. There's a stripe plushie. Baby loves it. So yeah, let's yada yada through this plot. So we can just talk about yeah. gremlins. So you know, lots of things happen. Eventually, the Mogwais, because the rest of the Mogwais are kind of malevolent, they want to eat after midnight to turn into gremlins. So they do. They find the chicken. And they alter. They get... Oh, I think I brought up a, a image of that. They they uh, end up turning into these... They don't, they don't so much find the chicken. Yeah, they are. So, you... so what what happens here is they're, they're, they're all complaining they're hungry. And Billy mm. checks his clock to make sure. Oh, the, they they mess with the clock. The the, the yeah, they cut the, clo the clock wire so it's it's yeah. actually like looked like it's before midnight. Yeah. But they, they Billy thinks he's feeling you know, them at like ten or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, he he ends up feeding him, and that's when they you know become invasion of the body snatcher like eggs, uh, slime pods, if you will. Look at Phoebe Cates. She's gorgeous, man. Everyone had a crush on her. I'm telling you. Yeah, she's pretty cute. Yeah, the, she's so those cute. Those eggs Here's Mr. Bird. Hatched because uh, animals lose heat faster than Dr. Dr. Hansen was given a mogwai of his own to test with. He's a dick. He just like pokes it with shit. Yeah, he just like jabs it with a needle and sticks his blood out and stuff. But the mogwai he had he it had coming. Hands on it. The gremlins get him later, but he had it coming. <laughs> yeah. And so did, and so did uh, the the lady who wants to kill the dog. She gets it later from the grandma. She deserved it. And and this lady, this lady kind of sucks. She gets it too. That's the eagle. Now Dick Miller was cool, but they they go after him. Oh yeah, yeah. The great practical effect. The practical effects were are like hands down amazing. That is uh, a lot of slime. And the music's the music is amazing too. Like this is great music. Look at Gizmo. He's so scared. Yeah, because he knows oh, the bad stuff's about to happen. Oh yeah, he does. And I love that Gizmo never turns into a gremlin. Like if Gremlins was like a. 2000s franchise, of course he would be turned into a gremlin because if it could happen, it has to happen in a modern movie, and that's why modern movies suck. You have to do the oh, obvious I, thing all the time. I've got some. You can have restraint back in the day. The movie most uh, you can are gonna blow your brains. I think they won't. They, they were. Won't. They were. They were wowing me. All right. Well, you know what? Let's wrap up this synopsis for this one, since everyone's seen this movie and it's amazing. So, you know, there's a big, big action plot in the movie where like Billy's running around and Phoebe 
No, not Phoebe in this one. That's not her name in this. <laughs> Forget her name in the actual movie. Um, they're running around trying to save people from, like, the gremlins, basically. And so is Gizmo. Gizmo's a good gremlin fighter, actually. Which, of course, especially happens in the second movie. But then it just gets silly. Uh, <laughs> um, my God, the synopsis is long. So... He, you know, he Billy carries Gizmo around in his backpack, which is pretty cool. And they're, they get rid of most of the gremlins in this movie theater, which I think I have an image of as well. Because, like, all the gremlins show up at the same place to watch this movie, which is pretty funny. Oh, wait, well, let's show this um, image that you wanted to talk about, Murphy. You're muted, Murphy. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry, I... <clears throat> Keep trying to clear my throat without being muted. Uh, so anyway, um, this is the one scene in this movie that was actually stop motion animation. Um, yeah, because and you can tell it looks debating. very different than the rest of it. Yeah, they were debating if they wanted to use stop motion animation for the entirety of the movie, but they ultimately went with puppets. The movie. I'm glad they didn't, but you could never have twenty five puppets and work them all. Their the original option. Let uh, the original option. I will get to that, but anyway. This is one of my favorite shots in the film, for sure. Um, but this is when the, the gremlins start breaking free and causing havoc in the streets. Um, yeah. Go into the movie theater. I just start watching. Yeah, there we are. Yep. Yeah, they're watching uh, yeah, Snow White. Yeah, see, that's hilarious, too. <laughs> and they love it. They're eating up Snow White. <laughs> see, this is great, too, because these gremlins are very much kind of the mythological gremlin. They're not just these, like, the way these other movies, like Ghoulies and things, did it, where they're just kind of, like, murderous little creatures. Gremlins just want to screw around. They're just, like, Lokis. They're little Lokis. They're little, like, tricksters, you know? And they do that well. But like Loki, they'll still murder you, but that's not what their objective is. They just want to have a good time and screw around. Just don't get in their way. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they, uh, they definitely do a whole lot of chaos in this film. And I was also, uh, among this chaos, eventually Billy goes to the police, uh, which I believe is the scene. No, this is the, right, this is the end. Uh, no. Yeah, so they get most of them there in the theater. They just set it on fire, don't they? Like, I don't know, they yeah, they they end up that. setting it on fire and exploding yeah. it. But like prior to yeah, that, yeah. Billy ends up going to the cops. Where, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, the cops. Yeah. And like in every movie, horror movie, the cops are useless. <laughs> There's just no sense well, in going to the. I cops. was, <laughs> I was surprised that one of the cops was the Jonathan Banks man. Like that was that came out of nowhere. For oh me. yeah, man, Jonathan like, Banks. Oh. There's a lot of good actors in this. 
I didn't know he was in this film. Old Johnny yeah. B. Yeah, well, Johnny I'm B. not sure. Maybe thousands. <laughs> Look, I know it sounds crazy. I this scene was infuriating, honestly. This is one of the scenes that I'm like, this is dumb as hell. This is cops in every horror movie, man. They won't help you. It's not just He's this literally movie. showing them evidence of a new species of aliens and they're just enamored matter. by it, but they don't believe him that there's gremlins. He's literally showing them proof and they're like, nah. You can't approach cops with something new in a movie. It just doesn't work out. That's a trope, and I, I agree that that's a bit of an overdone trope, but in 1984, it probably wasn't. Could you dim the lights, so. please? Dim the lights. Dim the lights. See, at least they're playing along. They're not the worst cops in a movie. Be careful, Frank. You might tear your arm off. You want me to put the cuffs on him? Billy, tell me something. Look at that young Johnny B. little guy like this can turn into a thousand ugly monsters, huh? Well, you see, this is before it enters the pupil stage. The pupil stage. The pupil right, stage. It multiplies with water. Oh, Christ. <laughs> there she goes. The eagle out the window. She had it coming. Oh, my God. That was Mrs. Deagle. That was Mrs. Deagle. Jesus, Frank, that's Dave Myers. He does Santa every year. It's such useless cop. Like the cops from Superbad, but like 25 years before Superbad. Yeah, and 25 years older. Yeah. And we just you can't have an 80s movie without a car. See them again. Yeah. But yeah, so eventually they get all the gremlins except for Stripe, because he's the most clever and he's still out there. But eventually they get Stripe as well. And you know, they microwave one. <laughs> That's kind of gruesome. Oh, yeah. They, uh... Yeah, basically they, they, they find They the kill them everywhere they can. And they get to the end scene here. Yeah, the toy store, like when they're in the department store, that's super cool. And Gizmo's riding around in his little car. Stripe with the gun. Yeah. Billy. You see, that's super memorable, too, the way Stripe says Billy. Man, this is such a good movie. It's dated, though. There it goes! Yay! Only because it's like 80s style with puppets. But like, you could make take this plot now and make it all CGI and it would suck way worse because it's CGI. And CGI sucks compared to practical. So like, you can't do a movie like this today because it would Im immediately be 10 times worse. And that's why this movie holds up and why it's timeless. Because it was made in an era where you could make a movie like and have it not be complete shit. Gizmo would be CGI now, and it would be just seem like a cartoon. You would never relate. Well, it to is. Gizmo. It is. I don't. Nothing. You probably they they've they've brought it like back as like a modern day cartoon and stuff today. Yes, me and they hate Gizmo because they know he's the altruistic one. Gizmo can take a beating. He gets the bright light and he melts yeah. stripe. They don't like bright lights. It's so goopy. 
Oh yeah, it's very goopy. Look at her, she's so cute. Oh, marshmallow. Oh yeah. There's the papa. Yeah, man. Legendary end scene. This is a great movie. I don't know what to talk about. Like, you can't make a movie like this today. This movie is as timeless as a movie can be because it was the perfect movie made in its day. And it can't be replicated. It couldn't have been done before this. It's just a perfect snapshot of 1984 filmmaking. I mean, it's it's Joe Dante classic filmmaking. It's Joe Dante and Spielberg and Jerry Goldsmith on yeah. the music, man. Like, this is the A-list. This is the friggin' A-list, man. And whoever their puppeteers were and practical effects guys were, they were friggin' on on it, too. It I mean, like, it's, um, a, it's an A-list, like, uh, how can I put this? It's an A-list uh high school production of a horror film That's oh awesome. my god murphy your brain is this broken. is All this, right. we're this gonna is, move on this is joe dante and steven spielberg uh no, you we're know moving on stuff out no cut it's the clip talk about the we're getting into it look i can't talk to you about this movie anymore it's too frustrating let's just move on the plot is amazing. The storytelling is amazing and unforgettable. You will never forget any scene in this movie. The plot. Where I couldn't tell you. It's only been like two. It's only been like a month, and I couldn't tell you a single scene in Southland Tales. And you said that's a good movie, and I could never. I couldn't tell you a single scene in that movie, even a month later. I couldn't tell you a single line from that movie. Nothing. Nothing about that has any resonance or staying power. It was complete trash garbage, and you liked it. I'm saying this movie is, better is than completely unforgettable. This movie, this movie is every scene is super memorable. There's no way you will forget any scene in this movie. Oh no, I'm not saying there's not scenes that are entirely unforgettable. Like there are good scenes. Fantastic movie. Hey, movie. Hey, Murphy. Which scene would you hold up? There's so many good ones in this movie. I'm actually interested to see what your favorite. Uh, honestly, the one scene that holds up for me the most is uh, this scene here that I am about to hear what I hear. <laughs> when they start singing along with the shit. The smartest scene in this movie. Okay, so the mom goes back to making cookies after she finds out there's alien eggs in her apartment or in her attic. This is one of the more hardest things she does. Scenes. Yeah, and this is the, the best knife. scene in the film, I think, is when she it's grabs the knife. And then from there on, it's just like one sweet moment after another that's just like tense. Oh, yeah. All hell. And, and it's a great Because oh, there's a bunch of them, and they're all up in her kitchen and everything, and she does not know where they are. Like, the gremlins are sort of actually a little bit scary, too. They're funny, but they're a little bit scary. The thing about the gremlins is all of their moving and all of their skittering and all that stuff, it's very off-screen. And the only times you'll see them on yeah. screen is when they're, they're basically puppets. like it's... wild hand puppets. But yeah. that's a good thing. That's another thing that a modern movie would never do, because modern movies don't understand subtlety. That's not true. It's 100% true, and you know it. No, 
That's not you're so skewed. It's hundred percent true. No, you're absolutely no. It's hundred percent true. They would no, CGI them all. You'd see them running that. around. You'd see them stabbing people. You'd see them do all this crazy shit because they're CGI and they can do that. Like there's, there's in modern movies, there's too much. We can do it, so let's do it. Not should we do it? Does it make the movie better? It's just like we can do it, so let's do it. That's every modern movie, and that's why they all suck. And that's why you're skewed because you you look at them all in that lens and in view because they don't show me otherwise, Murphy. Did you see uh, the new Dune movie? A lot of that was practical effects. It's amazing. That one. Well, I'll watch it. I'm not. I've seen the other two Dunes, (laughs) so I'm kind of done with that story. But I guess I can watch another one. Alright, so that's the scene that holds up for you. That's a good pick. She's yeah. gonna microwave the shit out of this guy. But she sprays him with the flea and tick spray first. That's probably DDT. That's really toxic shit. I <laughs> probably would have killed it anyway. So that's a good scene. Yeah, that yeah, is a good scene. Yeah, that's that's my, my that's favorite my scene. You know, the scene that I think about the most in this movie is actually like kind of the first one. It's the, it's Billy's father in that store. Uh, like, I love that store. That store is such a crazy uh, set. Like, that looks like a real old store owned by like some kind of eccentric old guy. And yeah, I love that scene. And I love Dick Miller. Dick Miller, whenever he fights a ground. <laughs> Dick Miller's great. Yeah, Dick Miller's scenes uh, are pretty good, too. Um, yeah. So those are probably my favorite. And when Spike goes after Gizmo, because Spike hates Gizmo, and he's just, like, taunting him. He's like, Gizmo. Like, he even knows his name. You know? Uh, Spike's a good villain. So those... I, those are the scenes I would hold up. You know, I love all of them, and they're all unforgettable. Which performance would you hold up, Mary? Oh, God. I know it's not going to be Zach Galligan. No, it's it's probably... He's fine in this, but like, there's a reason he didn't get a ton of roles after this. He's not the strongest actor. I mean... Probably Phoebe Cates, uh, or the dad. Oh, yeah. Uh, Maybe Howie Mandel is Gizmo, <laughs> you know, like yeah, Howie Mandel. Uh, you is know what? Gizmo Actually, no. I, you know, I take that all that back. Uh, I take that all back. I'm is gonna go with Dick Miller. No, it's, yeah, it's Dick, Dick Miller's Mom, great, man. Dick Miller. Yeah, the, those are probably my two picks. Yeah, I love Dick Miller, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the father. I really like him. The snowplow with Billy's father. Good. Yeah, that was a good scene. The setting aesthetic, amazing. Dated. Uh, no question. What is wrong with you? It's, it's dated. What is dated? You can tell it's dated. You mean because it, it took place? Because it took place in 1984, Murphy. Of course it's Yeah, dated. I know. And you can tell it's... What it's, does that it's even mean? It's in 1984. I was alive in 1984, just barely. Everything was brown. Is, 
is everything was brown in 1980 and very stereotypical and and very just like yeah. fake feeling like none of the places no man real. it's all they're real like, feeling the store feels real billy's house feels real everything oh. feels like it feels like a lived-in world no no it doesn't oh, if you, you earlier you said Japan you actually like Southland Tales, Murphy. You have to yeah, bounce this off the fact I, that you actually, I, when everything in that was so fake, it looked like a friggin' like high school student made it in 1998. No, it wasn't was the, point. the point. Every every shitty director says that about their shitty movies. Oh, I meant it to be shitty. No, they didn't. They just friggin' flopped a movie and tried to make excuses. No excuses need to be made for Gremlins because it's beloved for being a perfect movie. All right, movie oh, more. You know what? Actually, I've what what one scene actually one very important scene in this film. Uh, before I get to the movie morsels, and this was probably the best scene in the film aside from the kitchen scene. Uh, it was this scene where Kate talks about her first her her last good no, Christmas. Christmas. Oh yeah. Okay, what are you yeah. talking about? This was like, so again, dark. real people. They feel like real people. So horrible. It was Christmas Eve. This came out of nowhere. I was nine years old. Yeah. Me and Mom were, were decorating the tree, waiting for Dad to come home from work. A couple hours went by. Dad wasn't home. Mom called the office. No answer. Christmas Day came and went, and still nothing. She hates Christmas. Elise began a search. Four or five days went by. Neither one of us could eat or sleep. Weeks. Everything was falling apart. Mm. It was snowing outside. The house was freezing. So I went to try to light up the fire. And that's when I noticed the smell. <laughs> yeah, he was dead there the, the whole time. Through the chimney top. And me and mom stuck in the chimney. The dead cat or a bird. And instead nope. they pulled out my father. Santa came down the chimney. Gizmo's <laughs> fit. He's like, what? Gizmo's hilarious. He'd been climbing down the chimney on Christmas Eve. His arms loaded with presents. He was gonna Why? See, this is actually that's actually the worst part of this movie because why wouldn't he just scream and say, "Hey, I'm in the chimney"? Because he slipped and broke his neck or something. Okay, that's fair. And that's how she yeah, found out there's no Santa Claus. There's no Santa Claus, kids. Um, yeah. All right, so, morsels, Murphy. Break into him. Hopefully, there's not fifty of them in. like in the last movie because we're already at an hour forty-six. Uh, yeah. So with Gremlins 1984, the film was released on the same day as Ghostbusters 1984 and competed same with day. Ghostbusters throughout the box office year. Same day. That's crazy. Two basically yep. perfect movies on one day. And and uh, basically, it's never happened again. I guarantee you, there's never been two movies that good released on the same day since. It's impossible. Uh, no way it has happened. 
This movie and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from 1984 are credited with inspiring the MPAA to create the PG-13 rating. Many felt the movies were too violent for a PG rating, but not violent enough for an R. I mean, ratings are stupid anyway, but yeah. Uh, the but that's the thing about Gremlins. It's like that's why I loved it as a kid too. Like it just seems slightly kind of adult, you know. But you could still watch it as a kid. Not that anyone cared in the eighties. I could watch anything. No one cared. But the uh, front door of Mister Wing's mysterious store has four Mandarin symbols engraved on it. Together, they translate into English as "gods" and "monsters." Um, oh, that's awesome. Or- yeah, yeah. This is this is th- these movie morsels are really good. Like I one didn't want to have a, a lot deep movie. It's layered. It's Joe Dante, man. I mean, I'm not gonna uh, like the things that they did into this. You say this movie uh, doesn't hold up, or you won't watch it again. I'm gonna fight you, Murphy, because I I'll, I'll call you a liar, and then I will fight you. So just continue, continue with your morsels before the <laughs> the, the killing happens. or doesn't doesn't, and it shouldn't originally stripe and gizmo were the same character this changed when a producer yeah they were gonna turn gizmo into a gremlin this changed when executive producer steven spielberg insisted one of the gremlins be a good guy with whom the audience could identify director joe dante expressed that this decision was the reason why the film is so fondly remembered yes see spielberg is Look, no, no one knows how to make a movie like Spielberg. Um, uh, the idea of these creatures, this one I like. The idea for these creatures was born in a loft in Manhattan's garment district that was home to New York's University Film School graduate screenwriter Chris Columbus. By day, it was pleasant he, enough, but at he wrote night... This movie. Yeah, at, by, by day, it was pleasant enough, but at night, what sounded like a platoon of mice would come out and hear them skittering around in the blackness. Oh, my really God. Columbus recalls. I'm glad I don't live in New York. <laughs> well, apparently, uh, they've dealt with the rat problem somewhat, but who knows how true that is. The Santa speech proved to be controversial, and studio executives insisted upon its removal because they felt it was too ambiguous as to whether Eight? it was supposed to be a funny or sad. Director Joe Dante, however... Is that supposed stubborn- to be funny? Yeah, Joe Dante stubbornly refused to take the scene out, saying it represented this movie as a whole, which had a combination of horrific and comedic elements. Executive producer Steven Spielberg did not like the scene, but despite his creative control, he viewed this movie as Dante's project and allowed him to leave it in. Dante was right. It does kind of encapsulate. I love scenes like that in a movie that are kind of a microcosm as a movie of the movie as a whole. Yeah, yeah. No, that was smart by and, an earlier attempt to have okay this this is probably my favorite movie morsel for this film okay an earlier attempt to have monkeys play the gremlins was a oh my god because the test monkey panicked when made to wear a gremlin head chris wallace suggested they use puppets instead of the proposed stop motion idea as a comp- as a compromise the studio suggested a spider monkey in a suit, which was tested at director Joe Dante's office. The animal went crazy, tearing the office apart. Of course it and did. Everywhere. Dante screamed. You can't hold that against the animal. final product of the and movie, then, Murphy. And then asked Wallace, so puppets? 
So if they 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 were the the studio was like, okay, maybe not. People used to try to use monkeys for Let's everything. Go monkeys. Let's go People with monkeys. This movie would have been so different. Yes, I would have hated it <laughs> if they had forced monkeys to do these things. Uh, when the and movie was were cool, made, man. Practical effects were good. When the movie was made, there was no CGI, so all of the Gremlins were animatronics, each costing between thirty and forty thousand dollars, as much as a Tiffany lamp. Oh. When everyone left the lot for a day, security would have hated. Good segue from the last. <laughs> Security would have ha would have everyone open the trunks of their cars and make sure they weren't stolen. Um, after oh, this is this is this is a fun one. After watching Tim Burton's earlier short films, executive producer Steven Biel Spielberg considered him to direct this movie. He decided against it, however, because at the time Burton had never directed a full length feature movie. So Tim Burton could have directed. Okay, this movie. I have something to say about that. It wouldn't have been as good done by Burton. And look, Burton does one of the other movies I think is a perfect movie, which is Beetlejuice. And I actually like Beetlejuice better than this movie. But Tim Burton is not I right do. for this movie. Tim Burton has done a lot of clunkers as well. But basically everything after Beetlejuice. Nightmare Before Christmas is okay, I guess. But like most Tim Burton movies aren't good, whereas most Joe Dante movies are, I would say. So I think that was the right call, though Beetlejuice Maybe the best movie ever. It'll never show up on this podcast, probably because it's too good. Of course, it holds <laughs> up. It's Beetlejuice. The music, everything. Everything about it is beautiful. But You're fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is these are some very interesting ones. Chris Columbus script... Sorry. Chris's, Chris Columbus's script went through a few drafts before a shooting script was finalized. His original version had the gremlins killing the dog and cutting off the mom's head and tossing it down the stairs. These elements were never shot due to the fact horror. that Joe Dante and Warner Brothers wanted the movie to be more family-oriented. In the same vein, Mr. Hansen, the science teacher, played by Glenn Turman, uh, originally died with the dozens of hypodermic needles stuck in his face. However, by request from oh, Steven Spielberg, this scene was reshot with just a single needle in the buttocks. And Yikes. the gremlins they... in the microwave that we saw from my scene earlier had to be mm. reshot after the first gremlin explosion was deemed too gory. How could it be more gory than guts covering the entire thing? Like, what did they That's do? That's what I'm saying. That scene's very gory. What was gory? Oh, you know what? It was, it was probably just redder, so it looked more like blood. Probably, yeah. It made it yellow goopy instead. And green, yeah. Um, uh, the scene in the department store when Stripe attacks Billy with a chainsaw was not in the script. It was added by director Joe. It's a great Johnson scene. And Zach, and Zach Galligan as homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of 1974. Uh, yeah, very cool. Dude, the, the, the gizmo puppets were particularly frustrating because when they were smaller, they were smaller and thus broke down more. Consequently, to satisfy the crew, a scene was included in which the gremlins hang Gizmo on a wall and throw darts at him. This was included yep. at, at, on a list that the crew created known to them as the horrible things to do to Gizmo list. Oh my god. Like they do. The, the gremlins torture the shit out of Gizmo. And, you, and Gizmo's such a good guy and so cute. You feel bad for him. So bad for him the entire time, which is another very effective thing this movie does. 
the theater that blows up with the gremlins inside was subsequently involved in another accident when Marty McFly and Michael J. Fox in the Back to the Future 1985 smashes into the front entrance. The theater then burned down with the rest of the building and the fire that happened right after the filming of Back to the Future Part 2 um, in 1989. The new mogwai which popped out of Gizmo's body as small furry balls, which then started to grow, were balloons and was expanded with air. Um, yeah. One yeah, of it makes sense they look like that. Yeah. yeah the, one of the reasons for the no bright lights rule was that 1984 director Joe Dante and Amblin could not completely navigate the perilous waters of special effects for the Gremlin puppets that well. By keeping them in the dark, this camouflaged this problem. Yeah. This is an old sci-fi trick. That's why all fight scenes are in the dark. With the tricky and lumpy practical effects for the howling three years earlier, they kept the monsters in the dark to hide special effects problems. Um, That can be done well, and it can be done badly. Hey, Murphy, here's a rewind for you. What was the theater called in the apartment? Uh, the Majestic. Yeah. No. Yes, it's the Majestic. Was it the Majestic? It was the Majestic. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like so so let's go to the show down at the Majestic. Yeah. Um, we gotta r- wrap these up. We're getting to the final ones. The fountain was yep. filled with liquid nitrogen and stripes, grizzly yes, devices, yeah. orchestrated by a puppeteer hidden inside wearing special protective gear. So there's a guy Who's inside. jumping no liquid nitrogen? That's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah homie's just inside. Um, uh, this very is the small, last homie. Movie. This is the last movie to be shot on Eastman Color 125T film stock, which was discontinued shortly huh. after this movie's finished shooting. Um, among others, like uh, Howie Mandel, uh, one of the voices of the Gremlins were done by Michael Winslow. From oh, that makes fame. sense. He's one of the greats, man. From Police yeah, Academy from fame. Police Academy. Yeah, uh, Mushroom the, the Dog actors. actors. Mushroom the Dog actor who played Billy's dog, Barney, also played Lance Henriksen's dog in the cult horror movie Pumpkinhead in 1988. Pumpkinhead, yeah, yeah. Pumpkinhead's good too, uh, man. That could show up on this podcast at some point. Yeah, that would that be a bad one. Uh, the term gremlin is a neologism popularized by English Norwegian author Roald Dahl, famous for his somewhat dark children's mm-hmm. book, his story, Gremlin Lore, about fix, fictitious, mischievous elves that were said to cause unexplained damage on Royal Air Force planes, was commissioned by Walt Disney, but was never made. There's uh, something on the wing. Something. Thing. It's also Twilight Zone. Um, yeah. I'm going to polish up my Kirk for this Friday's radio read. You do. Uh, yeah, i got to polish up my Cybok. <laughs> the uh, the Mogwai will be a believer by the time I'm done, Murphy. Let me tell you. Yeah. I will be so convincing as Cybok. The Mogwai were molded inspired from the Japanese chin dog breed. Uh, Gizmo was the inspiration for the Furby, a multi-million selling mechanical stuff. Hey, Furby, baby, uh, in like a thousand things since then. The ghoulies, the frig, everything. Like, I-, I could probably bring a list next episode of a hundred things that were based off of Gizmo. And all of them were right. much shittier. Gizmo was the good one. <laughs> um, Honestly, Baby Yoda's okay. the worst thing ever. Like, anyway... Filmmakers were pushing the envelope with technology for this film. 
It wasn't yeah. until director Joe Dante made Gremlins 2, the new batch, uh, in 1990 that it had advanced to the point where they could get Gizmo running and dancing. The sets were yeah. generally built up off the floor so the puppeteers could be underneath operating the monsters. They used marionettes in a couple of scenes, but they weren't especially convincing. Dante explained, good puppetry is an art. When it's done as well as it was yeah. in Gremlins, CGI technology can't do it any better. It's not it can't. It, do, it can only do it worse. I, I don't like CGI almost as a rule. It doesn't ever feel real, so it takes me out of the movie. The puppets obviously are real, so it doesn't take you out of the movie. They look See, like physical that things. That no, they look, I've never. There so hasn't been good CGI since Terminator Two and Jurassic Park. Pretty much all CGI since then. Puppetry, like like a puppetry always takes me out of a movie because even though it's real, it's still puppetry, and I can tell it's puppetry. The like you can one tell of the CGI puppetry, is CGI. One of the few. There's never been a movie since Jurassic Park. Take me out of the movie is that that one with a man-eating plant. You know what I'm talking about? Um, with uh, 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 Rick Moranis. That popular one where it's a giant man-eating plant that sings and stuff. You must remember this movie. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, my God. Not friggin' okay. not Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. No, 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 no. Man-eating plant movie. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, that's one of the better acts of puppetry that doesn't take me out of a movie. You know, so like you're it, such it's, a young a man. Be, like how you cannot uh, look at CGI and see it all as just a video game. I don't. Well, how, no, I, I don't know I, how that. It just looks like a friggin' video game. Like it doesn't look like good and bad CGI. Nothing, the CGI doesn't look like it can interact with the human characters in anything. CGI really has only gotten worse. All right, I'm going to wrap up my final movie morsels for Gremlins here. Um, after the film two hours. Director... I know, I know. I'm trying. The, trust me, the 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 film movie morsels for Tokyo Godfathers is like four. So <laughs> this is the bulk of the movie morsels for this episode. After the film release, director Joe Dante stated, "I still have no idea why this picture was successful." Um, because it's Dante amazing, heard... Joe Dante. Director Joe Dante prefers knows why it was to the That's new batch to this movie. The director prefers Gremlins 2 over Gremlins. No, he doesn't. He parodies his own movie. He, he... It literally said, Director Joe Dante prefers Gremlins 2, the new batch, to this movie. Um, I, I, no even way. Though he, set he, during Christmas. Because he movie... had more fun with it. but Because he yeah, was just parodying his own shit. But that doesn't mean he thought it was a better movie. Well, I mean, that's the question we need to ask Joe Dante. We'll, we'll get him Even on the show. Even though set during Christmas, this movie was released on June 8th in Canada, Turkey, and the and the USA. Well, that sucks. Most of Europe and it's much of America. The release was in December 1984 to coincide with Christmas. It was the fourth yeah. biggest grossing film of 1984. The film had a budget of $11 million, and the film ended up being a success at the box office, yeah. earning $212.9 million. That has to be one of the most profitable movies ever. Like, never does an yeah. $11 million movie make 200 and some million dollars. Uh, I and, like, the, the, the toys and everything that, that spun out from Gremlins made a ton of money, too. I had all the toys, man. Everybody did. 
Yeah, there's there's no uh, talk of yeah, there's money. Earnings, oh boy, there was. The no target for this film was by John Hora, and the film was edited by Tina Hirsch. And those are my movie morsels for Gremlins, of mm-hmm. 1984. Tread carefully, Murphy. Rewatchability. Tread carefully. Yes, it does have rewatchability. Oh. It, yes, because it's so charming and enjoyable. Charming, yes. Enjoyable, questionable. Uh, I found it to no, be. Oh, you enjoyed this shit. I found it to be a problematic movie that seemed to uh, just be a little too comfortable with animal exploitation to a degree that I didn't enjoy. What is this animal exploitation found... you're talking about? You're talking about puppets? Are you talking about mogwais? They aren't animals. They didn't end up using the monkeys, Murphy. That's what I said. If they had to end up using the monkeys, I would hate this movie. But they use puppets, Murphy. Puppets. That's not yeah, what animal exploitation puppets, is. In the in the realm of the that's film, not what animal exploits are a real animal. They oh are a new species God, of animal. Murphy, that's the biggest that stretch you will ever come up with. By Bill's family and Bill himself. And they start to multiply these gremlins to a point where it gets out of control and damages their small little town. It's a problematic movie. In that sense, um, and the and the and the effect. I don't buy you know, that at all. That's the craziest the thing you've ever said, man. <laughs> These puppets the are causing animal exploitation. No, 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 no. Like they. The, the real monsters in this movie are the humans exploiting these animals. That's what I'm trying to point out. Bill's a sociopath. Dr. Hansen's like, I've got myself Bill's, a new no, novel. Bill, Bill Bill's father's Gizmo. thinking he's he got just wants what's year. best for Gizmo. Oh, does Billy's he? father does I'm not going to stick up for. He's a bit of a shit. He doesn't. He, no, he's a sociopath, I think, potentially. I think Bill's got but, too much in his head worrying about uh, the the lead in... in uh, the female lead. I forget her name at the moment. Anyway, listen. Baby Kate's. The movie Kate. has rewatchability in the sense that it is a bona fide classic, and there's no other film like it other than the multiple no. sequels that follow it, and it should and be you couldn't watched. make it again. You couldn't make it. You can't remake this movie. They will, and it will suck, because everything will be CGI and look stupid. But Unless they use puppets. I hope they don't. I hope they don't. The classic. If they did that, well, there's then there's no re- need to remake it. Which I, mean, I don't think they do. There are some movies like you. Is all you should never remake Beetlejuice. There's certain movies you should never remake because they're perfect, and this is one of them. Well, thing in the new Wednesday show is all practical, and it's done really well. Never gonna watch that show. I don't need sexy Wednesday. Wednesday's supposed to be a disturbed child, not this like super pretty goth chick, like. Like that's so modern too. It's just like we can't actually have a show. Christina with Ricci was like my first girl. crush. Here. Christina Ricci was my first crush. She's always been that dog. Like <laughs> not as I Wednesday. Just her. <laughs> oh well, fair. But like you know, she was she wasn't like super pretty. She was just a disturbed girl who never blinked. Instead, they just made like some. Let's hire this super hot girl to play Wednesday because it's a modern movie, and you can't actually write something good. You have to bring people in with pretty people. But, like, man, everything's so shallow now. It's upsetting. Rewatchability, yes, of course. I've watched it so many times. Like I've, I said last podcast that I've probably seen Medicine Man more than any other movie. I think I have to take that back. I've seen Medicine movie more, Medicine Man more than any other movie as an adult or at least a teenager. But if I count movies I watched as a kid, I've probably seen Gremlins more. And same with Beetlejuice. I've seen those movies, like, countless times. Um, Does it hold up? No. 
What? No, it doesn't hold up. Gremlins 2 is a better film. Hey, this this podcast is over. <laughs> we're, we're, this is the last episode of Hold Up. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Murphy's biased. He's just saying this to get under my skin. He doesn't mean it. That is and that's not, not true. what this podcast is about. That's not what this podcast <laughs> no. is about. No, it is about what this podcast is about, sir. I don't think no, this Murphy, the same degree that you think it does. It's not about to the degree that I think it does. But you well, would said you would rewatch this you, movie. Clearly it holds I, I would, up. I could rewatch this movie in the sense that I would like to rewatch this movie and maybe study some some, you know, scenes and effects and see how they did something. And but that doesn't entirely mean the movie holds up as a whole. No, in this entire movie holds up because it's, it's still hollow. enjoyable to this day. And you can't remake it. You can't remake this movie. You can't make this movie better. It's perfect the way it is. You could never make this movie better. I mean, that's what that's the definition of holding up. Like, like we could do the apartment and make that movie better. We could take the plot of apartment and make it better because it doesn't hold up. Gremlins, you can't make better. But they did. It's called Gremlins Two: The New Batch. Murphy, let's go back and watch Gremlins 2. It's not a better movie. It's just silly bullshit. Like I remember more scenes from Gremlins 2 than I ever did. No, you don't. Watching Name five scenes from Gremlins 2. Uh, the dancing gizmo scene, the uh, scene with the female gremlin, the brain gremlin, the cafeteria wrecking scene, uh, the scene where the entire building gets locked down. Um, okay, fine. Look, Gremlins 2 is okay, too. But it's not as good as this one. <laughs> because those are just silly scenes. They aren't as, like, impactful. Like, yeah, there's, like, the news anchor gremlin. Like, it's just all, it's it's a parody. Parodies in, are inherently... I can only be impressed so far when with a man's hand shoved up the ass of a puppet and they're hanging off a wall going... You know, I can only be that impressed. They can only shake a puppet around so much for me to be like, oh, this is, this is great. I'm a kid again. If this you know? movie doesn't end up in a movie on our list, Murphy, we have a problem. We have a problem. <laughs> I'm not changing it. I'm sorry, but this movie doesn't hold up. Gremlins 2 is the better film. If you want to watch a better Gremlins film, watch Gremlins 2. No one in the world That's is going thought. to agree with that opinion. You are on an island, my friend. <laughs> well, I mean, our, our door... In an island, not a, just an island, an island that's a parody of a real island. <laughs> like a fake-ass, a goofy island. Well, we need to get off this island of gremlins and move on to another island in I Japan am, called Tokyo. I am so God upset Father. right now. Sound off in the comments, people, on how much you hate Murphy right now. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. We're moving Murphy. over to theater three. We're taking it over. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take a walk. Tokyo Launch a trailer. Fathers. I gotta go walk that off. <laughs> Uh, so we've got Tokyo Godfathers. Does he have a banner set up for Tokyo Godfathers? Did he do that at all? I don't, I don't, there we are. Hold up banners. Hang on. There it is. Okay, cool. Sorry. He walked away. I'm figuring this out. It's Tokyo Godfathers 2003 starring Toru Imori, Aya Omakamata, and Yoshiaki Umekagaki, directed by Satoshi Khan, a film about, uh, three 
uh, homeless uh, individuals who come across a baby on Christmas and they seek out to bring this child to its loving parents. So let us watch the trailer for Tokyo Godfather. Uh, this is the English dub trailer uh, for anybody listening, uh, so you'll understand what's going on. Uh, when we did watch this movie, though, we watched it with subs because, you know, subs over dubs. You know what I'm saying? Subs over dubs. So here's the trailer for Tokyo Godfathers. This bundle of joy is a Christmas present sent from God. <laughs> She's our baby now. Huh? You know it sounds a lot weirder? The fact we have a crying baby in here. I'm not saying you're wrong, but what can we do about it? Find her parents. You want to find her parents? You're trying to play house when we're three good-for-nothing bums who can't even look after ourselves. Everything we could do. We're bums, not action movie stars. All right, let's ring in the new year by taking out the trash. I don't think I'm gonna fit. Yeah, it's a Christmas miracle. And that is Tokyo Godfathers. Let's get in the story and plot, shall we? Um <laughs> Sorry, I had my plot pulled up, but then I misplaced it. You're muted, I think. All right, look, I got some things to say. This movie had um, it's a lot of up and downs for me. Um, I was out, then I was in, then I was out, then I was in. Um, some things are hard to watch as a young parent or as a parent of a young baby. Like, I, I don't. Think I, I kind of felt like I kind of felt like this was going to hit a, a deep home for you. It does, but in not a good way too. Like I've never seen a baby used as a plot device. It's strictly a plot device as much in a movie or anything since like Roger Rabbit with that baby that just crawls around and constantly gets into trouble, but never dies. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Roger. like there's, there's at least 10 things that happened to this baby in this movie that a baby could not survive. And in general, that's why I don't like anime. So opening statements. I don't like, I don't dislike this movie. It has some heart and it has some things that are very enjoyable, but and some things I'll get into later. But the things that I don't like about anime are true about this. Everything's so overstated. Everybody yells everything inexplicably. Like in animes, people scream lines of dialogue that have no need to be screamed. And I don't like yelling and screaming. It's like a, just something that's, I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy it in real life. I don't, Yes, I don't, yeah, fine, but I'm not part of that culture, so I don't enjoy it. And it's it's like, to me, it's the inmates controlling the asylum. It's why comics went to shit in the 90s, because they 
put all the creative control onto the artists instead of the writers. So all the stories fell to shit. And that's what happens here. So they have people yell dialogue just so you can have a close up on the face of the person with bug eyes and sweat flying off their face. Like everything about anime is about the animation, probably why it's called anime. But that screws the story. It screws the relatability of the characters. And that's why I generally don't enjoy animes the only like the only animes i generally like are the american ones which is probably sacrilege i love the boondocks and i love avatar the last airbender but most japanese animes don't translate well for me i just find them so over the top in all aspects that it takes me out of it and like in this in this movie along with a lot of other animes they try to do this gritty realism which would kind of ground it and make it more relatable but they they squander that I find with all everything being so turned up to eleven like everything is spinal tap on an, an anime everything's turned up to eleven the emotion the facial expressions the even the plots like everything could just become so unbelievable it takes you out of it at least me but this movie okay. again um, I was in and then I was out and then I was in and then I was out because this movie is actually quite good so there are things that pull you back in despite these things I don't like about anime but those things I don't like about anime are still ever present so I was never well, let's pull ourselves in. let's pull All ourselves right. back into the plot of Tokyo Godfathers which is a 2003 let's... anime film that stories follows the story of three by starring starring Toro Emori I a uh, Akamoto and Yoshiaki Umagaki directed by Satoshi Kong. Satoshi Khan, yes. I, I did this while he stepped away, but yeah. Um, oh, sorry, man. Uh, I, just, <laughs> I had to yeah, go for a walk. I was quite upset. <laughs> I could tell. Um, so yeah, Tokyo Godfathers is uh, a 2003 anime film that follows the story of three homeless people living in the streets of Tokyo. A young girl named... Uh, <laughs> a, a young girl named Mayuki, a trans woman named Hana. She's the most uh, relatable. But a middle-aged man named Jim. Makes no sense. Like, uh, story is the most Eve grounded three... and still makes no sense. But anyway, continue. Uh, one Christmas Eve, the three of them discover a newborn baby in a dumpster. While they are scavenging for food and supplies, they decide to take Jim. the baby and try to find its parents. That was hard to watch. Someone abandoning a baby, like, stabs me in the friggin' heart, man. And I was just like, oh, God. Is this movie going to be about, like, miserable babies and it basically was the baby cries the whole time and no one really cares because they're busy with their own bullshit and i'm just like man <laughs> i just want to slap everyone in this movie and take the baby away from them slap <laughs> slap them as hard as hana slaps that like crazy mom at the bridge that was a good slap um, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Hana's quite funny, you, actually. But <laughs> uh, so yeah, they they discover a baby while scavenging for food and supplies in a dumpster. Uh, they decide to take the baby and try and find its parents, embarking on a journey that takes them through the various neighborhoods and subcultures of Tokyo. Along the way, they confront their own personal demons and past traumas, and ultimately come to understand the true meaning of family acceptance and overall miracles. Um, which this film tends to have a series of. Okay. So shortly after Miyuki Han and Jin find the baby. Okay. Here's another problem I have with this movie. And again, it's a it's a a product of the fact that everything in anime has to be turned up to eleven. You know what? That's not even fair. Everything in anime is turned up to twenty. So most Christmas movies, which this definitely is, 
Honestly, this is the most religious movie I've, that has been made probably since the Ten Commandments. This is like a re pure religiosity. It's all about the power of God. You know, every, everything about this movie. So most Christmas movies are about that. They have that religious aspect. So they usually have a Christmas miracle. But in this movie, a Christmas miracle happens every like 15 minutes or so. So in this movie, there's like 10 Christmas miracles. So to the point where you just become numb to it and it becomes stupid. Like I said to Murphy, I don't I fucking, uh, no, watch I this don't... movie. I'm like, clearly in this giant metropolis Japanese city, 40 people live because every friggin' building or every place they go, they meet exactly who they need to meet. And, you know, it's not like it's Scrooge and he's being taken to these places on purpose by a ghost of Christmas past. It's just wherever they go, conveniently, everybody they need to meet is there. Like, you can walk into okay. a hospital. I'm gonna, oh, look, I, it's I your long-lost daughter. I need to, oh, and your long-lost daughter's... I, I need no, it's, whoa, whoa. It's, whoa, it's ridiculous, whoa. man. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. Okay. First of all, it keeps are happening. you telling like, me that your biggest Christmas right, hang was on, done. hang on, will you let me get my price out? Okay. Yes, of course. Are I'm you good. trying to tell me that your biggest gripe with the movie was the disbelief of a series of miracles or events that could only happen without, let me check my notes, a movie? Yes, movies still have to feel like... Like, unless this is, like, again, this is anime. I understand as an anime fan, this doesn't seem strange to you. But as someone who just watches movies and not a lot of anime. It has nothing to do with it, anime. Yes, it does. Because in anime, I feel like people forgive things in anime that they wouldn't in a movie. If you watched a live action movie and there were, like, and everything was so just, like, there's never been as much just cause in a movie than in this movie. Everything happens. There's a lot of serendipitous miraculous moments. It's meant to highlight yes. that. And if that happened in a live action movie, if that happened in Gremlins, you would have been bashing Gremlins so hard. You'd be like, no, oh, if, that's convenient. If Gremlins oh, had well, that's the ability. Convenient. Oh, no, well, no, no, that's no, no, no. convenient. If Gremlins yes, you had would, the ingenious ability to tie these scenes ingenious. together like they did in Godfather. I would have been nothing all was tied together. Game. It was all just cause you can tie a movie together easily me? if everything is just conveniently there. Like like uh, the way I explained oh, this to Murphy was like it felt like an elementary school wrote the initial initial plot. No, look, I like this movie, but it has huge problems, which I think is just a product of anime, potentially. I but like I don't your problems are, are seem so forced and superficial for, for this movie because like this movie is literally a, a holiday miracle movie where they miraculously find a baby in the dumpster. If they did not find that baby, and then they miraculously what? And then they miraculously what? And then they miraculously what? And then what miraculously happens? It's just miracle after miracle. This guy lives in this city has never seen his daughter before but of course he's going to run into her in this in on this day because everybody runs into everybody they could possibly want to run into in this day the hana goes back what to the place daughter? she hasn't been back to because she thought she wasn't welcome what wow, what daughter the main character has a daughter that he hasn't seen and then she's a nurse at the hospital and he runs yeah. into her there because, of course, she does because everybody runs into. It's like screw. It's like somebody hasn't seen. He's Christmas just story times twenty. Yeah, that's and it's a Christmas movie. 
It's no, but it's like again, it's one like Christmas both. miracle or even two Christmas miracles are forgivable in a Christmas movie. Twenty Christmas miracles just get stupid. Like, but it's no, like twenty like Christmas miracles. Let's fall off a building like, and this like little like, flag happens, will float us down beautifully because it's a Christmas. Dude, that shit was a gorgeous anime scene. That Christmas. entire that no, climax that scene was, was amazing and brought tears to my eyes. All right, that was that a beautiful scene. Was scene. I was I was that on the was edge of my seat. Oh my god! On the rooftop, that was okay. Climax. You are a fool. On the rooftop was okay not... when it was just um, was it? It Miyoke, was tense. Uh, okay, we're jumping ahead a bit. We're we're All jumping right. ahead. All right, listen. Go listen. ahead if you can. I I want to. I want to break down. I dislike this movie, but man, does it have problems. All right, here's the thing. All right, one of the scenes in this film that got that I was hooked in was this: was the wedding after. After they coincidentally save the Yakuza boss from being crushed by his own car, they get brought to his wedding like it's the Godfather. And I was like, okay, this is, where's this movie going? Okay? And I had like, oh, I guess they're gonna, they're gonna help them like, find people sooner, you know? They're gonna lead them to the people they're looking for. And he sees this, sees this girl, thinks it's like, looks like his daughter, which it kind of does. This is my daughter, Kyoko. Hello. Uh, this whole scene, I was just like, mm. okay, this is this is something. This is kind of funny. They're eating some food. Where where is this gonna go? I didn't know where the scene was gonna go, and where it went. You know, generally, I like these three main characters. I don't like the baby plot device you don't lose a use a baby as a friggin plot device like this but it's amazing isn't it seems like our little kyoko is blessed with luck don't you think now there it is yes like i get i get murphy thinks i missed the point of this movie which the point is that the god because this is a very religious movie god is protecting this baby that's what Hana keeps saying. And, like, that's the point okay. of this movie. So that's why it's supposed okay. to be forgivable that there's, like, 20 Christmas miracles because it all focuses around this baby the, blessed this by one God. Scene, but like, this one scene is good and religiosity in, two, in two aspects. This one scene is really good and troublesome. One, it's good because it got me hooked in the story, and I felt like from this moment on, it was all just a compiling, like, where's this story going to go next? And I was hooked and enthralled. However, there is a plot hole in this scene where Jin uh, says he recognizes the groom here for causing his debts and trouble, and he wants to kill the groom. And I was like, "Oh shit, Jin's gonna Jin's gonna bust some heads here with this like bottle of wine, right?" Um, and then when he goes to attack him, and they're just like, "Oh wait, there's actually assassin in the crowd." And he's gonna shoot those guy. I was hooked. I'd still be with my wife and daughter. No, see that makes no sense. Why? Why are these like? There's like two Latino characters in this movie. Like, that's one thing. This is one of the plot holes. And one's like this is a one of the plot holes that was like, just like pushed to the side. And maybe it was like touched a lot of things were pushed support. to the side. One of the main plot threads through this movie that they pushed to the side is the fact that Hana in love with with Jin. And they never even come close to resolving that. 
Like, there's so many, like, then again, that's an anime thing. In anime, you can just throw anything in there and people will think it's great. I feel like people have blinders on when it comes to anime because they like the art style or something. I don't know. But everything's turned up to 20. Things don't make sense. You know what got me back into this movie, Murphy? And I was out. Like, again, I was out. At first, I was in. I was like, okay, I like these three main characters are kind of interesting. And then I was out because, again, they're using a baby as a plot device. And it's like it felt cliche and things I've seen before. But then they go to the hospital. And all of a sudden, there's Freude Shona Gata Funkin Tocteo Zelysium. Wird betreten freier trunken himmlische dein Heiligtum. One of the best pieces of music and best poems ever written, Ode to Joy, just inexplicably shows up in this movie. And I was like losing it. I was like fading and probably not even looking at the screen. And all of a sudden that comes on and I'm like, boom, I'm back. I'm in love with that fucking song. And honestly, the best thing on all the internets is the flash mob where an orchestra surprises people by playing that. Like, it starts off as... Have you ever seen that? Like, it, like there's just this one guy with, like, a standing bass, and this little girl comes up and gives him a coin, and he starts to play Ode to Joy. And then just, like, every few seconds, someone else from the orchestra walks out into the street and joins joins it. And by the end, the conductor's there, and there's all of a sudden, you realize that all these... Like, half of these people that are watching this scene happen or actually the chorus choral part of the orchestra and all of a sudden it's just boom they're all doing ode to joy and people are taking pictures kids are climbing poles to see it like it's like the most human thing like this very one of the peak moments of humanity is ode to joy and anytime it's played and that brought me back in so i'm like all right i'm in i'm back and then the movie actually got better from there like, the second half of this movie is better than the first half, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's deep. Like, <clears throat> the scenes where they're, like, where they, 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 they're looking for the house, you know, he... he How about that like, German? How was my German, Murphy? Not bad, eh? That was good German. That was good German. It was a good pronunciation. <laughs> but, like, the scenes where, like, the old man comes across, like, this super old... Like, that scene where he comes across this old man... Is he like, supposed to be Santa Claus? I, I don't know if he's supposed to be That's Santa what I Claus got. or what. Because he even says that... something. He's like, you're not supposed to know who I am. Oh, weird. I didn't really get that. I thought he... Yeah, See, I think he's supposed I, to be Santa Claus. When he first shows up, he looks like Jin laying in the street like some sort... And I thought Jin was but... having some sort of outer body experience or something. And then he realizes it's like this old man who he proceeds to try and take care of. Um, only to there's no other client. if he's not Santa Claus, there's no reason for that old man to be in the movie. I mean, he, I guess that he, just he, get, he gave the gift of, of knowing the location of the where I, the house was through the poster. Um, yeah, yeah, I think he was Santa Claus. All right, that's an interesting theory. I never thought about it that way. Um, it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, so uh, basically through through some of the series of events that happened, um, they end up getting stuck on a train uh, where Miyuki sees her father and another train across, so she proceeds to like... Okay, I gotta talk about Miyuki train. and her father for a second. As a okay, father. Yeah. 
And again, maybe this is an anime thing because everything's turned up to 20. Her backstory doesn't make sense. Yes, she stabbed her father. But like... Over a cat. Over a cat. And of course he'd be pissed maybe in the moment. But honestly, they show that scene and he doesn't even look pissed. He just looks shocked. She thinks she can never, ever go home because her policeman father will arrest her. Even though she's called him. And doesn't really say anything, just listens to his voice. But he never sounds mad. He just always sounds worried about her. Because, as a father, he's just worried about his daughter. Daughter. And mm-hmm. so, like, that's unbelievable. That's not a believable story. Jin's story isn't believable. Yes, he had some gambling debts. But you don't have gambling debts and then just pretend your daughter and wife are dead. Like, none of these yeah, stories... Are believable as humans because they're a cartoon. His, yeah, they're like they're like Gremlins too. They're a parody of real life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So again, so that's why I was in. I mean, then I'm like, oh, that's silly. I'm out. Okay, I'm back in. Oh, to Joy Blade. Okay, no, that's stupid. I'm out. Like in the I end, don't know. See, for me, I have I was... a positive feeling about this movie, but barely. Right, so, uh, like, for me, I, I, you know, I, I was, I... Because it does have heart. This movie it certainly has heart. From, I was hooked from this movie from the wedding scene. One of the scenes that, like, really surprised me was this scene with the, with the ambulance. Uh, these guys are, you know, having a fight outside. Uh, this, like, I, I hate the ambulance scene. store scene. And then, bam! Yeah, was, Why did that ambulance just crash out of nowhere? There's no explanation. I know it doesn't. They're never explained. Like we need it. something there's, there's to explode, and events. we need an action scene in an anime. Because if like things slow down for more than five minutes in an anime movie, somebody has to scream a line inexplicably, or something has to blow up. Like it's again, it's the inmates controlling the asylum. It's too much about the artist and not the story. That's that's my problem with anime. It's all about the visuals, and I just don't care. Like, the visuals don't blow me away or anything, so, like, the story needs to be there. Well, it's, either way, like I've, these, these three... Though, I will three. say, other than other than Avatar The Last Airbender and Boondocks, this is probably my favorite anime I've seen. Oh, that's good to hear. Because, um, like, honestly... I, I like it, it but like it. most animes I haven't liked. I didn't like Akira. Everyone loves that. I didn't like that movie. Like, yeah, that that's a complicated mess. Anyway, listen, uh, Tokyo Godfather is is me watching it from my perspective. Now that I've basically heard you go on, um, you know, I've been my perspective of what. Yeah, you have, and yeah. Uh, So anyway, I'm done uh, now. That was pretty much it. I okay. Well, I'll keep trying to say this. My perspective of the film was basically. these these enticing moments that I never really saw coming, which kept hooking me in. Um, the art style was really great. Um, I liked the serendipitous sort of, oh, what's that? Like the moments were like, the one that really st- was like when they're walking and they're like tra- talking about looking for the mom. And I think it's, they're talking about suicide. And while they're talking about somebody always talking about suicide, suicide in this movie. And that's well, maybe I mean, a cultural yeah, but, thing with Japan, but it's just like, oh, I'm having a bad day. Well, I guess I'm going to commit suicide. Or like, that person had a bad Japan. day. They're probably committing suicide that's, right now. Like, that's like, that's very that? much a, a cultural thing. Uh, w- with Again, Japan. maybe that's a cultural disconnect for me, but I don't need that. 
Well, all, I thought, you know, the scene, there's things the to do first. Fucking Christ, Kevin. The scene I'll let for you me, talk. the way the scene that I thought, like that that bridge scene, I thought was enticing because this this while they're walking and having this conversation, this woman's about to c- commit suicide. And they and I, they seem oblivious to it until they're not oblivious, and then, then they go stop her. And I love the timing and the pacing of that scene. And I love the timing and the pacing of a lot of scenes in this movie. Um, it's stuff like that that I thought was really cool. And then when they go get her, you comment that on that scene. Like, that scene could have been good, but again, it had to be just because that happens to be the person they were looking for. Because every person they come across in this movie is the person they are looking for. The person they need to see. Well, this is this is getting to the later end of the movie. That's that scene is where I like reached my capacity with the Christmas miracles. I'm like, like I saw that woman on the like by halfway through this movie, I I could predict everything that was going to happen because it was so cliche. Just cause, like as soon as I saw that woman get up and stand on the side of the bridge, I'm like, oh, that's the baby's mother. Obviously, because the way but if she wasn't the baby's mother, obviously the baby's mother, mother. But she wasn't. No, if it wasn't the baby's mother, it could have just been a comment on like on suicide and that sort of thing, and just like. But the the uh, but no okay like like the main characters are. Let me let me. But instead, it had to be obvious thing. There you go. Okay, let me finish my sentence first, Murphy. That's fair. That's fine. The thing is, that woman who, you know, we, in this scene, are led to believe she's the baby's mother, and those who are like, oh, we found the baby's mother. And and it turns out she's actually not. She's a crazy fake lady who's going through, uh, well, not crazy fake, she's the fake She was the baby's mother they were looking for. She's the exact She was the one they were looking for, but she wasn't. She was was actually a kidnapper. She stole the baby from the hospital, and, like, that twist works. Now you've got this suicidal woman holding this baby, and I was tense as hell yeah. through that whole scene. Me too, Every because moment. again, it's a baby, and I'm like, I don't want anything to happen to this baby. It's just a plot device. Again, the baby was just a plot right. device. Right. They throw the and baby off a tense, building. They throw a baby into that, a car crash. They throw the baby. Well, like, the, the t- as the tensity of that scene was building, as as she's running with the baby, and you're like, "What's she gonna do?" She's getting up to the f- the top of the building. I'm like, "Oh, I know what happens when these people go to the go to the top of the building. They're gonna fucking jump." And the fact that she gets the edge, and I'm watching the scene, like, "Oh, Miyoki's gonna grab her or something." And she's not. She's getting the edge, he and does. she's about to jump off. But then her boyfriend stops her. But then she's like, goes for it anyway. Then Miyoki jumps and grabs her, and it's like. These like compounding is just like, game, that was inconvenient. Oh, the boyfriend just happens to be there. Like everybody he, just not, it's, he, he did just happen to be there. He saw her. Yes, on the he TV. did. No, dude, he saw her on the TV. So, so he's he like, saw. Oh, her I gotta go TV, down there. Thirty seconds later, he was there. Well, it wasn't. It could have been thirty seconds, but time jumped no, throughout this. It was, it was less this, than thirty. Seconds. This film starts on Christmas Eve and ends on New Year's Day. So there's some time jumping hmm. happening in this film. No, no, but the camera angle on that character was just while she was on the roof she walks on the roof for a few seconds then the the cameras and the helicopter spotlight hits her that's when the the boyfriend sees her and by the time 10 seconds later she reaches the edge of that roof the boyfriend's there to talk to her maybe like he's around the corner like, like there there's a lot i think of you're getting hung up writing. on these like on these no there's a lot of bad because like, yes the because there's like of that 50 final of scene them. was amazing 
No, the intensity in that they, final scene was amazing. From the moment I'm saying he is this, walked onto this the movie roof, could have the been moment a, three people caught her, and Hana has the baby and he's holding onto a ribbon like Jackie Chan, and he's floating down because I've seen Jackie Chan, Chan do that, that shit was horrible. times. Come on, but you Jackie can't Chan movies are possible. comedy parodies. But he's he does it. He's you've seen him grab ribbons and and fall down buildings, so you know it's a possible thing for somebody to do. Yeah, it's coaching right? tiger, hidden dragon. But like that's not believable shit. <laughs> like, like legitimately, he was falling down, and then of course the wind picks up. God comes in, blows it, and gives it a rise, and there's sunrise, and that's like basically God shows the crescendo. Up like 50 of, times in that's this the movie. crescendo of miracles in this movie. After a litany of miracles, that's the crescendo. Yes, of a litany of miracles. Yes, and it was it was a movie about miracles. That's what this movie is about. That's what Tokyo Godfather 2003 is a movie is about. I just feel like if that you took said, like a lot of this movie and gave it to a writer who's not involved in anime, it would have been way better. Like someone who tried to make it more realistic. Well, I think it would have been better because there's a lot of things I liked about this movie. If this movie was done as even a live action movie about these three homeless people, it would have been better. Like I don't need all, all right. the crazy anime shit to take me out of it. All right, that's fair. I think you'll probably be interested to hear uh, uh, one of give the give this to Joe Don. Picked up of this. Give this movie to Joe well, Don. Hang on. Let's 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 wrap this. Let's wrap this up. We're running long. So, which scene would you say? Yeah, we ran long tonight. This movie. Are we there? Oh, we are there. Um, look, I like a lot of scenes in this. Look, I wanted to like this movie more. Like there, because there's things here that are really good, but. Man, I feel like this movie was trying to make me not like it the entire time. I'm like, um, even though it was cliche how he found his daughter, Jin talking to his daughter for the first time in all this year, these years, was kind of uh, impactful. Though, again, Hana ruins that by just being super anime and, like, big expressions and big yelling and all that shit to, like, break up that moment. But, I mean, Before he can it was, And that's that's when Ode to Joy happens, too. So Ode to Joy happens, and then he sees his daughter. So that whole thing... That general scene. Well, to be bit. fair, Hana, I feel, had the right to blow up because Jin basically fed a bunch of bullshit that didn't turn out to be true. And Hana was like, wait, you've been lying to me. So he, I feel like he had the um, justification to be angry. At if you're a narcissist, a that finish. moment had nothing to do with Hana. A narcissist I know, it thing. didn't have anything to do with Hana, but like he, <laughs> he figured out these that Jin was lying to him. He could have brought it up at another time for sure, but it, it is what it is. Miyaki. Is that the Miyuki? Miyuki? Yeah, she even says yeah. that to him. She's like, "Why the shit did you say that then? Like, what the fuck is wrong with I, you?" I like <laughs> I like Miyuki's jabs and barbs. Um, the scenes that held yeah, up she was me, good. Actually, her, her just I story. Scene, I enjoyed the scene with Miyuki and that angel mom, where like they're they're in like the the suburbs. Oh, the the, the Latino lady, the Latino mom, where and they're they're like communicating even though they can't entirely understand yeah. each other and yeah, getting along. Like, I like that scene. Um, yeah, I see, also, that was more I realistic, Dancy. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of the climax, like the ultimate climax scene. And um, I also like the scene, like I said, with Jin, where he discovered the old Santa man. I thought it was really trippy and weird, and it gave me Paprika vibes, and I was about that. I loved Paprika, which is one of the films we'll be covering at some point, um, which is also a, a Satoichi Khan film, um, so similar art style. Um, so get used to it. Uh, yeah. Um, what performance would you say held up for this film? Jin. Jin? Yeah. Jin. Yeah. Uh, Jin, I would agree with Jin. Jin's held strong. Jin's the character uh, that least removed himself from reality for me. Hmm. Like, his story, though a bit ridiculous, because, but again, like, I guess that's possible where somebody is so overwhelmed by debt. But again, it doesn't make sense because he's just like, oh, I have all this debt. I have to leave my family. It's just like, yes. Yeah, so now that you've left your family, now your family has to pay your debts. You've only made it worse, you ding dong. Like, I don't know, that's really stupid. <laughs> but yeah, like the acting was good. I liked that voice actor, even though I'm reading it in subtitles. He was quite good. Yeah, no, you could tell the emotion conveyed was really strong. Um, yeah, I liked yeah. him. I thought Hannah, uh, like, honestly, the, the three main characters were pretty solid. Miyuki was the weaker yeah, of the three. But that's because her backstory was essentially the weaker of the three as well. Um, so, yeah, they, they held I think together. I think Hana was the weakest of the three just because she was the most, like, or he, he she, I don't know. <laughs> she. What did Hana consider herself? She? Okay. Yeah. Um, was the most, like, overdone the most kind of turned up to 20 <laughs> well i mean you know the, the least realistic forward, is a so. yeah, well, yeah. to, to a degree so i've got a, a, a fun movie morsel about that character um but yeah what did you think of the setting and aesthetic it was good it looked good it was a yeah. good looking movie yeah other than like the, the things i said i don't enjoy about anime which is the over animation of like emotion and things which I don't need. Like, that just takes yeah. me out of things. It's like, I don't need you to zoom in on somebody so for them to go for, like, inexplicably. Like, that's such an anime uh, trope. Like, it's, it's, it's more or less to emphasize certain feelings or characteristics or reactions. Yeah, they're just, they're just overemphasized. And that's, like, yeah. a, tr a trope of, of the, the medium, of the anime yeah. medium. Everything's just overdone slightly. And I get that. Like, people enjoy that, so keep doing it. It's just not for me. All right, all right, cool, cool. Well, then I like guess I find I find Boondocks off. and 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 Avatar don't do that so much. Like Boondocks will do it for last on occasion. Oh, no, part, I don't know when last do that. Like, certainly Avatar, Avatar, the Last Airbender. I don't no, find it. Does that. When was the last time you watched Avatar: The Last Airbender? It's been a few years. There you go. I've watched it fairly recently. Like I watch reactors react to it for the first time, sort of recently, and like it's fairly cartoonish. There's a lot of outlandish art drawing. And, yeah, that and could I, be. I just really enjoy the humor in that show. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the movie morsels. So Tokyo Godfather's 2003 movie, the number 1225, the date of Christmas appears throughout the film the number on the key ring the cab fare 12,250 yen 
a stopped alarm clock and the address in the newspaper ad and as well the cab license plate. Um, now, is Christianity this big in Japan? Like, I'm sure they sent missionaries over there, but this is a very Christian movie for a J Japanese movie. This is, like, literally the most Christian movie since the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I don't know the level of Christianity. It so is. And just honestly speak on that, so... If yeah. Um, like, I know there is a certain Christian element in China and probably Japan as well, but... I'm surprised uh, that they lean so heavily into it in this movie. So you'll you'll find this interesting. Um, this movie is an extremely loose remake of the 1948 film Three Godfathers, an American West story produced several times since 1916 and in development again as of August 2020. Yeah. Uh, I don't know much it's about been two years office. since 2020. What happened with that? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that movie actually panned out. So maybe I should. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. Someone probably um, said, "Any Christmas miracles?" No, we're shutting this down. Yeah. <laughs> um, the name of the yakuza boss that the protagonist saved is Ota, the same name that was written on the grave where Jin got the sake in the previous scene. And since Ota later states in the conversation in the car that he went down to the old man's grave, this shows that the sake that Jin stole and drank was actually Ota's offering to his late father. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, Yakuza boss Ota's car number is 8893. In Japan, 893 is a number that represents the Yakuza in a cryptic way in modern times. Uh, and is actually said to be the origin word of Yakuza, because adding eight, ya, nine, ku, and three, za, gives us zero for first place, which is the lowest score in a Japanese card game similar to Baccarat. In, in this film, buildings that look like faces appear in over a dozen scenes, uh, sometimes representing the feelings of the characters, Satoshi Khan, uh, describes this in his Tokyo Godfather's miscellaneous notes as follows. When I bought my new digital camera, I started taking pictures of such faces of the buildings for fun, but I thought it would be of a shame to let it end up as just a hobby, so I decided to use them in this film as a symbol of the pantheistic gods, the eight million gods that have existed in Japan since ancient times. And uh, the last uh, movie morsel, we've got... Japanese comedian Yoshiaka um Umagaki, who played the voice of Hana in Japanese original cast, also played the voice of Big Gay Al from South Park in 1997. What? On stage, he frequently sings the song Mauvais Garçon, which is also sung in this movie, while blowing off the beans stuffed in his nostrils with nasal breath. This was his signature performance even before he appeared in this movie. Thanks for asking. That's him? That's him. <laughs> That's um, this, this film had a budget of $2.4 million and made a box office of $847,106. Jeez, it uh, lost money. That yeah. made no money. Yeah. Cinematography, Katsu. Well, it has its problems, man. It has its and problems. Edited you can by see how like, a, a bad opinion sort of could circulate about this. Yeah, and the film was edited by Takeshi Siyama and Kashika Kimura. Um, and those are the movie morsels for our loving Tokyo Godfathers. Um, bada bing, bada boom. Rewatchability? Yeah, I think it's got rewatchability. 
Um, I thought it was a beautiful film, and I would definitely watch that again. It's probably, honestly, one of my favorite Christmas films, I think. Wow. How about you? I don't think I can watch it again. There's too many things I don't like. I don't like the baby as a plot device where there's just this miserable baby the whole time. Like, there's just things I'd rather not sit through again. Mm-hmm. And too many of the good moments were squandered by stupid things. Where I don't think I'd want to sit through that again. Now... See, that's funny, because I wouldn't watch it again, but if we would ask ourselves, does it measure up? I would probably say, yeah, it's pretty good. But I'd never want to watch it. I think this movie measures up, and I honestly, I think this movie holds up. Which, uh, to be fair, I, I, I get the measure up, hold up Metronic, but I think Depends. we should just consider them, if these films just all hold up in general, because that can apply to, to recent movies as well. To be fair, it's like, what exactly are we measuring up to? Are we measuring this movie up to the ones we watched previously? Because if what so, is it? What how what are how are we asking? Does it hold up if it came out last year? Well, it didn't come out last year. It came out like, in two thousand. Is it aged that well in ten months? No, but like, say you pick a newer movie, and we ask. Well, it yeah, it's like, well, did it last ten months? Or like, <laughs> I would say if if the film has come out in the past ten years then it we it should be considered measure up status okay. uh, if it's we post can, 2000 you know early 2000s whatever it, it could still be considered a, does a hold up so in the category we'll go we'll still go with measure up but um, i think this movie also holds up as well so yeah god i'm so mixed on my opinion there i feel like i should say it doesn't just to get revenge about gremlins but i'm not like that like there's no way Gremlins is a B movie if this is an A movie. Like, that makes no sense. Gremlins is by far the better movie in every way. Gremlins is like a B-plus movie. Then so is Tokyo Godfathers. Okay. Alright, so I'm going to say no, it doesn't. Because I wouldn't watch it again. That's fair. I, I, well, I didn't hate this movie. For an anime, I was surprised at how little I disliked it. But again, I disliked a lot. <laughs> so, so I don't know. That is what it is. Yeah. That That is the joy of this podcast, sir. That's that true. I think I probably would have liked it better before I was a parent. But I think potentially, yeah. I think, I think being a parent uh, made it harder to watch because... You know, Dude. you could envision. Oh, it's just seen shitty parental decisions over and over again in this entire movie. Right. I'm just like, and again, the biggest problem for me is the coincidences in the just cause. There's just too much. Like, I, I feel like they're. I don't know who wrote this movie. I think Satoshi Khan did a good move. Uh, Satoshi Khan wrote, wrote the movie. He wrote. Did he movie. write it as well? Well, I don't think he's a great writer necessarily. It felt quite, like, unfinished. It's just like, if you were to pass the script over to, like, uh, a, a, I, a, I want to see how loose... To a Joe Dante character, he'd be like, okay, here's what we have to change to make this good. I want to see how loosely based this off of Three Godfathers. I kind of, I'm intrigued. Yeah, it'd be interesting. What the movie's about, and sort of compare. 
Um, I don't know. I thought it was a fun, entertaining film. And the last hour of it had me gripping and on the edge of my seat. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Rankings for me. Gremlins at the top, then this one, and then, well, like, I don't even want to talk to the apartment. Yeah, it's, you know, uh, I would say it's Tokyo Godfather's Gremlins, and the, the apartment was god-awful. Uh, yes. yeah. I agree on that. <laughs> we started off in agreement, and then we started to fight. And well, we devolve so When we quick. fight, we get oh, an extra hour on the podcast, I've noticed. It's true, it's true. <laughs> I, we're trying to keep this within a certain time frame, and it's like, well... We're going off the rails here. Let's see if we can. Our, our two-hour uh, episodes are quite cordial. If you see a three-hour, you know, expect. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're getting into it. Yeah. So we have our A movies thus far. Like I think Gremlin should be there, but so far we only have Matinee, The Wolfman, Werewolf by Night, and Soylent Green. We've had two B movies, unfortunately, to add to the list uh, tonight. We have. The Tingler, An American Werewolf in London, Logan's Run, Gattaca, Southland Tales. That's so not a B-movie. That's a shit. That's a piece of shit. But And Medicine Man, and now Tokyo Godfathers and Gremlins. Yeah. I think having Gremlins as a B-movie, like, delegitimizes our whole podcast. But anyway, our C-movies, The Majestic, I Heard Huckabees, and now The Apartment. Those are three... Well, you know what? Majestic is so much better than those other two movies, but still not great. But it's much yeah. better than I Heart Huckabee's in uh, The Apartment. Those we'll give Majestic, Majestic a C+. Plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, In Southland Tales, a B-. minus. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm fine with that. If you want to give it a B-, minus, we can give it a B-. minus. I'm just saying, that movie... I remember being terrible, but when I rewatched it, it was better than I remembered. Still terrible, but less terrible. But yeah, it's still a bad movie. I'm not going to deny that, but like you know, it's yeah. it, it had incredible moments, and it's actually kind of genius in some ways. No, it's, people throw the word genius around too much these days. Like, <laughs> there's like. A hundred geniuses on this whole planet stop calling people friggin' geniuses. Like, good damn. It makes me crazy. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now let's all you have to do is write some let's, shit let's pop people. song that wouldn't even people wouldn't even listen to 20 years ago and you're like, you're a genius. Man, don't you know AI is going to make the pop songs now? People call Kanye West a genius and he's possibly the stupidest person on the whole goddamn planet. Like, people are so... Anyway. Not wrong there. You're not wrong there. No. We need yeah. to wrap this up. We're genius. It has no meaning. Yeah, we're done. Let's get yeah, out of we're, here. We're done. Do we Let's want to promote the brands? Of course. Shit? We've, we, right. we always well, have to. Have, that's, that's the contractual obligation of the United we Federation. We are contractually Podcast. obligated. Because we're in the United Federation of Podcasts. So we have many shows in this wonderful federation. Most less contentious than this one. We're kind of the uh, the angry stepchild of the United Federation. We're here for podcast. the spicy here chili. If you want spicy chili, come to Hold Up, a movie podcast. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I have more podcasts. I have the X-Rated, the animated review show. We just did an amazing interview with Al Sincerely Smith, the voice of Storm. That was my early Christmas Great present, interview. Andre says, even though I bought it for myself. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> but it was a great interview. She's an awesome person. Um, and, you know, quite inspiring. Um, Andre, my co-host on that, has the Graphic Histories podcast. He's about to... Re oh, crap. I forget the guy's name. Blythe? Something like that, maybe? Anyway, a cameraman uh, who did a lot of movies. Gotta make clips for these outros so we can remember names True. on the fly. I, I usually remember this stuff. But, yeah. So this guy did work on The Shining and a lot of other cool stuff. I'm sure Andre will have a great interview there. Andre can get a good interview out of anybody. Not to say this person isn't fascinating, but Andre gets good interviews out of people. If you want to know the um, inside of The Shining, check out Graphic Histories. Yes, exactly. KBBL. That'll be on Friday. We'll be on episode four of The Simpsons. Yeah, we're starting it. It's hard to even talk about episode four of The Simpsons since there's like 10,000 episodes now. Um, I mean... We do that. Me, Fra me, Francis, and Baker. It's a fun time. It's always an hour or less. That's a short one for a United Federations of Podcasts podcast. True. Probably the shortest. What's the extra B for this new episode? <laughs> I don't find that out until Francis tells me what it is. That's on Franny. Uh, I see. Franny comes up with the Bs. The last one was bring me presents because it's almost Christmas. Franny wanted presents. Fair enough. Beer? Yeah. Also, he'll always accept beer. <laughs> As a lot. Um, yeah, well, like, beer's part of this show. We recommend beers every episode. And we're basically, basically making a drinker out of Baker. He doesn't drink. Nice. And we're all like, yeah, don't become us. But, you know, he may. <laughs> we got uh, uh, Super Mater Brothers coming up in yep. half an hour. The season finale yep. of Survivor. Good golly, Miss. Where we find out if the fix was in. With Superfan Sam, and there's going to be a Gilligan's Island podcast, so we'll find out. Nobody at the United Federation of Podcasts wants a Gilligan's Island podcast. Fingers crossed. It, Fingers it crossed. might happen anyway. Oh, man. I'm never going to be on it. Tell you that much. I think, uh, I think we should be on it just for jokes, at least one episode. Well, I do that. I crash at a lot of the podcasts in this federation. <laughs> uh, Speaking of which, look, Hooters a Trek. You may even crash this one if I'm up in an hour's time, just because I've never shown up on a Survivor podcast, and I might be like, who won? Did, did Sam win? <laughs> uh, yeah, we have the United... We have uh, Live Long and Podcast. We do a lot of Star Trek content. We are a lot of Star Trek lovers here. Um, we have our... Look at that handsome bunch. Those are That's a handsome bunch of Star Trek lovers right there. Look at Murphy there. Looking very stoic. And are you saying stuff? It doesn't say you're muted, but you have no volume. Um, so here's the command division where they do the episode reviews. There's the ops division where we do Star Trek Radio Theater. Um, Star Trek V coming up on Friday. We're doing that as a radio theater. Murphy is Kirk. That's good casting. This one is good casting. I looked at the cast when Dave sent it to me. I'm like, oh, we got some good casting here, Dave. Um, yeah, it's going to be solid also casting. This... Can you hear me now? Yep. There's also the science okay. division. That's kind of, uh, I'm sort of the captain of the science division. We do deep dives. We talk We talk smart about Star Trek. I sound Trickles like an angry idiot, idiot on hold up. But, you know, when I'm talking to my science brethren, we can get into it. Um, <laughs> um, that's that's also my our little side brand, Locutors of Trek. 
where we do things like, uh, well, look, we do thematic uh, lenses. We shine Star Trek through thematic lenses and talk about Star Trek in the real, real world as well. And we try to find how we can make the real world more like Star Trek. And, you know, we do trackle trunky stuff, too. We review comics. And we do some fun stuff. There's class. There's lots of games, but that's more. I've moved those over to the science division. So. Trivia. There's debate games. Debate 9. Debate 9 coming up on Sunday, maybe. i got to get confirmation from the contestants. But there could be a debate 9 on Sunday. And we just did a trouble with trivia. That was fun. And we did a geek tile challenge. We have a Klingon host on, on occasion. Um, it was also trivial debates. Coming up on uh, Sunday, on I believe. Sunday, yeah. December oh, 17th. Crap. Oh, yeah, but that's in the morning. So, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And I'm going to be a contestant with Max Duda and Sterling. Sterling. Slowcock Bennett. I've never met this yep. guy. But. Sailing uh, all the way from Australia. International. Me and, me and Max. International talent. Max Duda have locked horns before. So, it'll be a bit of a rematch of sorts. And Cousin Dave's the host. Cousin Dave robbed me of a victory one other time on Trivial Debate, so we'll see how this goes. Christmas um, theme episode with Christmas questions. Yeah. And also, the Hellbound check out, podcast. There's, a, there's a rectangle version of the Hellbound. Didn't even notice. This is a new yeah. logo. Right. Yeah, the Hellbound podcast. Check that out with Alex Blackburn and Michael Chan. Sometimes Jessica Chan. Sometimes Jessica Chan. You haven't had me on the show yet. I don't know what that's all about, but that's fine. I think your time will come soon. Maybe. Yeah, I guess that's all of our podcasts on this wonderful federation. Until me and Cousin Dave start up the Mary Mater Marvel Society, which will happen eventually. God, we gotta work on that name. We gotta work on no, that No, it's name. perfect. It's gotta be a better no, name. There's gotta be a better no, name. Be. We so call it MMMS. Be if you... That's why we have acronyms, Murphy. That's why acronyms uh, are why Dave and I invented acronyms. Okay. Specifically so. for that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, all right. We're out of here. Yeah. We got to get out of here. We're going to leave you guys with uh, the coming attractions for our Go next right. episode, which is going to be a little. Well, this is our longest episode ever, Murphy. This is our longest episode. I was hoping to get this under two hours, but we just had to go at it. We just had to get heated. We just had to get spicy. But you know what we had to do, Davin? We had to enjoy the movies. And we hope that you... Well, not apartment. Well, not apartment. But, you know, we enjoy ripping on the movies just as much as we enjoy watching the movies. And we hope you enjoy watching the movies, too. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. And... uh, we'll never talk about the apartment ever again until then you guys have a great night enjoy the movies and enjoy these coming attractions can we talk over these we can if we want to what is our theme I forgot what's next parties oh parties oh yeah okay You know, 1962 had to be the best year of my life. I was a member of Delta Tau Chi. Wow, wow. You gotta go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Legend. John Belushi. Who heard? The HBO documentary magnificent to be watched.
flounder. Oh, well. And look at me in 62. The otter. School was fun in those days. The otter. The girl. <laughs> the party. Toga. 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 The friendship. The girls. Of course we had our problems. Find me a way to revoke Delta's charter. Super special probation. It's no super secret probation. Yeah, yeah. You're out. Finished it. They were expelled. I want you off this campus at nine o'clock Monday morning. Let's do it! I've never actually watched this movie. I haven't seen it in probably 15 years, but I've seen it more than once. I think I was the villain in uh, Ernest Goes to Camp, another movie I love. National Lampoon's Animal House, starring John Belushi, Tim Matheson. Would you go out with me? And Donald Sutherland as Jennings. Yeah, Nova Scotia's own. Being bad is more fun than being good. Nova Scotia's finest, right there. Animal House. Now this one I haven't seen in probably 25 years. I used to watch House Party as a little kid. <laughs> so it's going to be way different to me now. barely remember it. I used to love kid and play movies, man. Class Act was another one. Hello, Tawatha. Do I feel like being bothered with Tawatha? Hello, LaDonna. Yo, baby, looking real good. Step off. This is the movie that made Martin Lawrence. Oh man, I can't wait to watch this again. It's been so long. I don't even remember most of it. House party. What? Oh man, that movie that's a good movie. I just asked if y'all are getting ready. Yeah. You just called the Uber, you coming? Um, I'm not sure yet. Oh no, I'm sure yet. Why is Colin so hard? Oh, I love Colin What is this so movie? Much. I feel like I'm just like... Oh, shit house. Ouch. You're trouble, aren't you? I'm trouble? You okay? Yeah, I'm just not feeling well, and it's super frustrating. Am I not allowed to sleep here? No, you can. Am I, like, keeping you up? Oh, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't sleeping. Do you want to, like, go hang out? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd love to. So you're a sophomore, right? Yeah. Did you have a tough first year? What do you mean, like, adjusting? Can I tell you a secret? I have zero friends. <laughs> like you could say, my roommate is a friend. Sam, we need to get up. I ain't do nothing. Dropped a deuce in our room. But we hate each other and aren't friends. I have a final tomorrow. Do you want to work together? Uh, which final? History. Um, the 18th century. Uh, paint. Paint? Where? <laughs> hey. Hey. Sorry. Do you mind if I just get past you? Oh my god. You sent her so many messages. Hey, what's going on? Hey. See you. Are you sure that that was um, the girl? Yeah. It just seems like she didn't know that you existed. Why do you want to just go back to what you were doing? Did you think we were going to date because of one night? Tonight, we're making new friends. Let's get outside the comfort zone. Maggie is outside of my comfort zone, though. What I've realized is that I haven't fully been here. College is the most selfish time in your life. The agenda here is not to learn how to be a great friend. What is the agenda? Figure out who you are. Figuring out who you are separate from other people. This movie looks ah. terrible. Oh my god. If you're you not so 14. Bad at pitching. I know. Uh well, it's a very coming of age film, which we'll talk about in the next episode. Good night. Oh.